Hello, friends. What the fuck's going on? Huh? I got a bunch of comedy dates coming up, including New Year's Eve at the Wiltern Theater in Los Angeles with the great and powerful Ian Edwards. Tickets are available for the 7.30 show. There's two shows, 7.30 and 10. Yeah. Uh, and again, some tickets available for the 7.30. A bunch of other comedy dates coming up. All of them are available at joerogan.net forward slash tour. We are adding second shows to Bakersfield, Fresno, and New Orleans. Nolans. <sighs> There's a bunch of second shows. JoeRogan.net forward slash tour. And um, within a month or so, I'm going to release a bunch more upcoming dates that I got coming on. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Me Undies. They're my all time favorite underwear. I got them on right now. In fact, I have them on every goddamn day. I wear them all the time. They're my favorite. They feel good. They're super soft and comfortable. They're light. They're made with a sustainably sourced fiber called Micromodal that is three times softer than cotton. Um, I just like everything about them. I think they just nailed it. They figured out a way to make the junk area where your package sits for the men, for the ladies, it's not as much of an issue. But they've carved out like an air, like it bulges out a little bit and caresses your thing. They've engineered the perfect underwear. They've built the better mousetrap, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and they're, they're an excellent gift for the holidays. A lot of people say, oh, underwear. You say that. But if I got me undies, I swear to God, I would love them. They're so much softer than a pair of cotton underwear. They just feel better. They nailed it. And during this holiday season, you can get an exclusive 20% off the softest underwear. And now socks. They sell fucking socks. You will ever wear free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go to meundies.com forward slash Rogan. Plenty of cool patterns and art prints, and they send you new ones every month if you subscribe. Meundies.com forward slash Rogan. That's for free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee and 20% off the softest underwear and socks you will ever wear. Meundies.com forward slash Rogan. We're also brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox delivers 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, and heritage breed pork directly to your door. All their products are humanely raised the way nature intended and free from antibiotics and hormones. This is a great option for a lot of people who want to eat healthy, but, you know, just don't know exactly where you're going to get grass-fed, grass-finished beef near you and what they are is like a neighborhood butcher for modern america and free shipping anywhere in the lower 38 48 48 states do we have 50 states yeah the lower 48 though that's what they say free shipping in the 48 states but we have 50 states so they're like saying the 48 states well which ones man what I'm saying is I don't think they give you free shipping to Alaska or Hawaii. Dom D'Agostino gets his meat from ButcherBox, and I have too. It's excellent food, uh, very good. And now you can get $10 off plus free bacon by using the code ROGAN at ButcherBox.com. You can cancel anytime without a penalty, so give it a try. Each box comes with at least 8 to 10 pounds of meat which is enough for 24 individually sized meals, unless you're Bert Kreitcher, then it's one meal. Uh, you can choose five different box. I'm just kidding, Bert. Come on. I don't eat 24 pounds of meat. 
um, you can you can choose between uh, five different box types: all beef, uh, beef and chicken, beef and pork, the mixed box, and the custom box, which lets you choose your own cuts. And by taking out the middleman, the grocery store, and purchasing direct from a collective of ranches, ButcherBox is able to buy the meat at a lower cost and place the savings along to you. The price is just $129 a month, which works out to less than $6 a meal, and shipping is free, besides Alaska and Hawaii. See, that's the other, they say it there, the 48 states. There's 50 states. A lot of people don't consider America and Hawaii. They don't consider uh, Hawaii America, rather. Nor, nor do they consider Alaska America. I think I agree with them. Anyway, order now and get 10 bucks off plus free bacon by using the code word ROGAN at ButcherBox.com. Check it out. I've used them before. It's, uh, it's really excellent food. Go get that. Okay. Okay. We're also brought to you by Onnit. O-N-N-I-T. Onnit is what we call a total human optimization company. We have a full range of strength and conditioning equipment, uh, kettlebells, battle ropes, steel clubs, steel maces. We have them in all sorts of art- artistic versions. We have Star Wars kettlebells now. We have uh, kettlebells that are uh, Boba Fett. We have a Darth Vader and a Stormtrooper. Uh, we have kettlebells in the shape of Iron Man. Bum, bum, bum. We have uh, primal bells, which are all the great apes. Um, all these kettlebells are artistic, they're beautiful, but they're also 3D balanced. So they work like a regular kettlebell. They, you can swing them and use them just like any other kettlebell, but they look cool. We have them out of gorillas, chimpanzees. We have a Bigfoot one, orangutan, howler monkeys. We got the legend bells, which are, we have a harpy, a zombie, or excuse me, a cyclops, and a werewolf. And then we have the zombie kettlebells. Zombie kettlebells uh, are, uh, if you really want to train for the zombie apocalypse, what better way? with these fucking horrific-looking zombies that we've sculpted into kettlebells. And then, of course, we have regular kettlebells for the conservative folks who just want a nice, round kettlebell. <clears throat> I like those, too. Actually, when I'm in my no-nonsense mood, I prefer to work out with the reg- regular kettlebells. That's just me. Uh, we have a ton of uh, awesome snacks, supplements, including the flagship Alpha Brain, which is probably one of the most important supplements that I take. It is a cognitive-enhancing nootropic. It is essentially nutrients that are the building blocks for human neurotransmitters, and it literally helps the way your brain functions. And this is not speculative, and it's not snake oil. It's been proven by two double-blind, placebo-controlled studies at the Boston Center for Memory. You can view the results online with Onnit, uh, at Onnit, rather, and also be aware that one of the things that we do with Onnit is we provide a 100% money-back guarantee when it comes to our supplements. You do not have to return the product. You just say you didn't like it, it didn't work for you, you get your money back. We're not trying to rip anybody off. We're trying to provide you, uh, we're trying to establish a relationship where you can require, or you can use us to get all your required vitamins, vitamins, to all your required nutrients and vitamins, all the things that you need to optimize your performance. We don't want to rip anybody off. And once you try Alpha Brain, especially if you have any sort of memory intensive thing, uh, one of the things that the, the three things that they've shown statistical improvements are was is verbal memory, reaction speed, and uh, peak alpha flow state. All that stuff is available. You can uh, check out what the studies mean and, again, try it out for you. Uh, what do you got to risk other than making your 
motherfucking brain work better. Uh, New Mood is another one that I really like. It is a serotonin boosting supplement. It has 5-HTP, which your body converts to serotonin, and L-tryptophan, which your body converts to 5-HTP, which then converts to serotonin, uh, and a bunch of adaptogens and all sorts of cool shit that helps it move along. And what that does is literally help your brain make serotonin. And serotonin has been linked to positive mood and healthy emotional balance. It really does work. It really does, it really does help you. It's good for you too. And it comes all from natural root extracts. Yummy stuff. Good for you. Uh, snacks. We have all sorts of groovy shit. Hemp force protein powder, warrior, buffalo bars. Too much to mention on this podcast. But go to onit.com, use the code word Rogan, and you will save 10% off any and all supplements. Okay. My guest today is the great and powerful Justin Wren. If you've ever heard Justin on this podcast before, you know of him and his amazing, his amazing story. Uh, Justin is an MMA fighter who uh, spends a good deal of time in the Congo making wells for the pygmies. Uh, it's an amazing story. What a completely selfless, sharing, wonderfully giving guy he is. He's just so so generous with his time and his love. And he just, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this guy. And uh, he's also one of Bellator's top heavyweight prospects and the salt of the earth. So please give it up for my friend, Justin Wren. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Justin Wren, ladies and gentlemen, come on. Hello, fella. <laughs> With the silky hair and the beautiful beard. Oh, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure, my brother. How's things? Man, things are good. Things are really good. I mean, last night getting to go to the comedy store for the first time and seeing all those legends and just being in a legendary atmosphere. I mean, it was, it was seriously an incredible time. It's a fun place, right? Yeah. I mean, and you had us rolling. Uh, so it was, it was really fun. I got to see Brendan and Brian Callen first and then you. And so it was just hilarious. Did you get to go to the upstairs room as well? Or did you, the two was downstairs rooms? Were? No, I was, room? I was in the, the belly room is upstairs. Okay. Um, Brendan and Brian were in the main room I was and there. I was in the original room, which and was, was the in the front room. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't get to go to the top. Uh, tomorrow, tonight I'll show you the top. Okay. It's, it's a bizarre little place. There's three comedy clubs in one place. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Yeah, it's fucking great. Yeah, walking around, seeing all the history, seeing everyone get amped, and then being able to be that close to the comedians too is is pretty awesome. I mean, being able to meet them, say hi, and just uh, you're you're in arm's distance from them, so really unique. If anyone hasn't gone, I suggest going because it was awesome. Yeah, I think Chappelle has filmed his Netflix special, his next one. He did there in the belly room. In the belly room yeah i watched him work one of them out i don't think he was filming then but i'm not sure it comes out soon right does it i think they weirdly announced that it comes out this month i think whoa i'll double check on that real quick but i think so that might be the case because it's so small there's probably not a lot of camera angles and i know he did he filmed a lot of shows so maybe he just wants to just get one of them perfect and then throw it out there but he had a lot of like really topical material real real current material yeah was it uh was it smaller than the room that you were in last oh night? yeah 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 oh, wow. even not, more e- not even half the size wow yeah exactly. see that's 31st. incredible december 31st yeah. that's crazy they don't have a video here but this is equanimity is what it's called <laughs> <laughs> nice it was funny man he's he's it was really funny and then seeing him in that tiny little room like there was 70 people in the room oh wow yeah they did get more in there sometimes, but don't tell the fire department. Because they fucking shouldn't. Speaking of fire department. 
Oh man. It's crazy out here. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I, I seen that video you posted on your Instagram. Yeah. It seriously looks like Armageddon. Yeah. It's I mean, from bar to barstool sports. If anybody wants to go to their Instagram page, they, somebody put up a video of, uh, last night driving up the four Oh five. Gosh. It's the craziest thing you ever see. It's like, the entire mountain. What's crazy is that's Bel Air. I mean, that's like a really ritzy area, super expensive houses, and that fire is just raging towards them. It's right near the Getty Center. And what apparently what they're calling this is a dry hurricane. Wow. So I don't live in California, and I'm not a homeowner yet, but does homeowner insurance cover all that, or do you have to have extra like fire insurance? That's a very good question, and I don't know the answer. Yeah, because my, my family was in Hurricane Katrina and because they, they had hurricane insurance, but they didn't have, like, wind insurance. And so what? the insurance companies Wait would say— the fuck yeah, a minute. Or, or flooding insurance or something like that. It was what? whatever you didn't have, you would get one and not the other. And so then whatever you didn't have, that's what the insurance company would claim. Well, you didn't have this, and that's what you should have had. Oh, and my And so God. people were losing tons of money, their home, whole homes. My family lost a whole roof off their house. Ah, oh, these um, monsters. Yeah, and so that's what I'm wondering. Like, okay, you have homeowner insurance, but do you have fire insurance? And are they going to cover that? You know, if those are if that's Bel Air and that's yeah. million-dollar homes, hopefully they have the right insurance. Well, I'm sure some people have fire insurance. I know it's a thing. Just like hurricane and flood insurance is also a thing, but do they have fire hurricane? It's a good insurance? question. Well, yeah, right. This is a fire hurricane. It's not just a hurricane. Well, it's a. They're calling it a dry hurricane, meaning there's oh, no hurricane. wind or there's no water, but it's it's hurricane gale force winds. Gale wow. force? I don't know if that's right. Hurricane force winds. Technically, not like you know. In my hotel, Katrina, I mean, the wind was just ripping all last night, and I know that there's those fires out there. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, it's insane, man. Um, I, where I live, I was evacuated twice. Oh my gosh! Yeah, twice in the early 2000s, where um, the fire got so close it was within a mile of my house, and you know, when it hits and the wind goes, it can take over. Like it can just run. They said that the fires that they were having in Northern California were going through an entire football field every six seconds. Oh my gosh. That that's mind blowing. Fuck man. <laughs> just wow. imagine watching that, watching fires just cut through a football field, a hundred yards every six seconds. Yeah. It's almost like those clouds when the storms are rolling. Yeah. You know, you're just watching those go by. A lot of people died in those Northern California fires, too. They just got stuck. There's nowhere to get out. And they apparently, like that whole Napa area is... Have you ever been up there? No. Damn, before the fires. I don't know what it looks like right now, but God, it was beautiful. It's where they do all the wine making, you know? And um, we actually uh, went turkey hunting up there, me and Brian Callen. Oh, nice. Yeah, Steve Ranella took us up there, and we were up there, and we we were like, God, this is so gorgeous. But it's like semi-rural but then a big tourist vacation destination, too. It's like people come there for those wine-tasting things and everything. Apparently, a giant chunk of that part of the state just got lit up. Wow. And when you, when you go turkey hunting, are you using a bow or are you using this was shotgun? Shotguns. This was for the meat eater show. So do you have yeah. to like go for their, their head? Right? Yeah. So that's nuts. So because you can't hit their body or it goes everywhere, right? Well, the then you have to pull pellets. out all the lead, yeah. you know, which you, you like when people shoot smaller birds like pheasants and things along those lines, you do shoot the mm. whole entire body. But with the turkey, you're basically sitting still and you call them in. You're like, bark, 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 and make this little, you get this little sound thing in your hand or you have one in your mouth yeah. you know and you make little turkey calls and the turkeys come in and just blast them in the head <laughs> <laughs> or or you shoot them in the body uh with a bow 
Um, I know uh, my friend John Dudley and a lot of those guys, they hunt with bows and they, they shoot turkeys with a bow. But mm. it's tricky because a turkey is a goddamn dinosaur. And if you don't hit it in the right spot, they'll just fly away with an arrow sticking out of them. Wow. Like literally. Wow. Something that kills a deer, like it go right <laughs> through a turkey and the turkey's like, bitch, I'm out of here. <laughs> Like you have to catch them in their vitals and their vitals are you literally oh, are shooting an arrow at a softball from, you know, 40 yards. Yeah. So you might not hit it. Well, man, seeing this new space is awesome. I mean, this is an incredible new studio and seeing that your targets are up there. You got what? 48, 46, 47 yards, 47 yards yeah, wow. indoors. Yeah. But when you come back, man, we'll have a full gym. You'll be able to work out and the whole deal. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Dude, after you watched the UFC and you saw Francis Ngannou, did you <sighs> see if you could make 205? <laughs> That's I think uh, a lot of people did. Oh a lot gosh. of people were like I could make, I could make two hundred five. I, <laughs> I think it's totally possible. I, I've always been against it, but now I'm thinking about it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. But he, man, he's he is a monster. He's terrifying. A monster to see how far he sent. <laughs> over him's head yeah. was just backwards in that one photo. That's like an iconic. That's probably the the most iconic, at least in my mind, um, or epic heavyweight fighting MMA fighting photo um, that there is. I mean, with that I think head so too. Knocked back that way, and I mean, it just looked like such a power. I mean, it was a powerful punch, but the timing of that shot was just incredible. You see that one where his head is just yeah. completely knocked back. Man, yeah. he's a scary, scary dude. I put that one on my Instagram feed too. That that picture seems like the coming of the new king mm. you know what i mean like obviously he's got to beat stipe miocic but if you want to like look at a picture like in history when you come back and go this is the moment where engano arrived and people realize like holy shit like this guy is for real he didn't just do that to any guy he did that to alistair motherfucking Overeem. yeah k1 kickboxing world champion yeah strike force world champion yeah. just a stud like elite fighter yeah number one heavyweight contender yeah well you you and brendan were talking about it last week on the show and yeah. uh hear you guys saying if he starches him and if he can yeah. if he can prove himself and it's like man he just did it the the best way possible and I mean, the way he did it it's like the whole world's noticing mm. like i saw it on cnn i saw it on all these different websites and they're just everyone's just raving like he could be the next big thing. And I think that's going to put him on the map now that everybody knows. And they have this highlight reel of his knockouts now. Yeah. And so the, the advertise a fight between him and Stipe, I think it's going to be gigantic. Yeah. I think it's going to be huge. Uh, I, I've been able to talk with Stipe's coach and there's a potential. I was going to go out and help him uh, in this training camp. So, Hopefully that still happens. My schedule's kind of crazy, but hopefully I can get up there for a week or sneak up there. Um, yeah, I'm I'm happy for Stipe to get a big fight. Yeah, for you sure. Know? And if he wins against Engano, I mean that is just gigantic. Yeah. That that would be absolutely phenomenal. If there's a guy that can do it. I think yeah, it's Stipe for sure. Well, he's the champ, and yeah. he's a champ for a reason. Yeah, definitely. But he's got a lot of work to do. Yeah. He's so big. <laughs> Got to weather that storm and put him up against the cage, wear him out, pummel. I mean, just yeah. just get really heavy on him and uh, tire him out, take yeah. him into deep waters, put him on his back. We got to remember Overeem did get him up against the cage. Yeah, that's Overeem true. Overeem lunged at him, clinched with him, got him up against the cage, but couldn't do a goddamn thing with yeah. him. Yeah, that's you know? true. I think a little difference is Stipe having that 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 all-american wrestling background being able what? to keep him there a little bit this more. is crazy he's opening up as the betting favorite over the heavyweight champion wow. steve miocic i mean this is an amazing i mean i get it i understand but that is pretty incredible yeah. that he's the betting favorite yeah i guess if you just look at his comment that do mma math or so but uh the uh if you, the common opponent with him and over him and 
you know, how they both performed against him. Uh, yeah. Well, Overeem did catch Stipe mm-hmm. and, and had him stunned and knocked him on his ass. And then Stipe came back and won. But, you know, I mean, he's going to be obviously super aware of how dangerous it is to connect with Ngannou. He's going to obviously try to stay on the outside. And uh, when he closes the distance, close the distance, get that clinch, get him up against the cage and figure out some way to either get that guy down or wear his legs out or do something. We yeah. don't know what happens when Ngannou goes into the third, fourth and fifth rounds. Right. If anybody can even physically take him there. Yeah. I do love how Stipe has that killer instinct, uh, oh, yeah. both against Overeem after getting hurt, uh, even Verdum after his leg mm-hmm. injury, being able Junior to come Dos back. Santos, and, I think. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, you're right. The Dos Santos and, uh, fight, yeah. He's, uh, Dos Santos right. had kicked his leg pretty hard and giant swelling on his leg. Yeah. yeah. Then to come back and just knock him out the way that he did was just beautiful. Yeah. This so is even the if big he gets test. hurt, if he doesn't get put out and he's hurt, he can still he can still turn on that killer instinct and put him away. So yeah. it's going to be exciting. Like watching this fight, I'm I'm amped for it. This is one of the the big heavyweight fights recently that I'm just so stoked for. Yeah, that's the big one. I think it's probably the biggest heavyweight fight ever when you think yeah. about what Ngannou is. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's obviously been some giant fights like Brock Lesnar when he fought Cain Velasquez, Brock Lesnar when he fought Overeem. Those are huge fights, but I think that. Ngannou is something special, and if if Stipe could figure out how to turn him down, how to shut him down and beat him, I mean, it will really cement his position as the baddest man on the planet. And if not, we got a new king. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's really exciting. I, I was even thinking when you're saying those last fights, uh, this one I'm as excited for as whenever Brock fought Shane Carwin. Yeah, was helping. Me and Brennan both were helping Shane train for that fight. Um, and now I might be involved for a week or so um, helping Stipe get ready for this one, just being around that, seeing the preparations, what they're going to do. Um, even just being a training partner for that legendary fight would be pretty epic. Are you going to shave lightning bolts in your head to emulate Ngannou? Um, I, I'm at least going to dye black uh, <laughs> <laughs> lightning bolts in my hair. Just be the reverse, the have vanilla you, gorilla version. <laughs> <laughs> have you trained with Stipe before? I haven't. I haven't. No? just talked with his coaches a bit. So they thought it'd be a great idea, and I think it is too. So he's out there in Cleveland. I'm sure. I mean, he's got some incredible um, team around him. And you're in Oklahoma City now, right? Oklahoma City, yeah, with Lovato. With uh, Lovato, yeah, Yeah. that's awesome. And he's killing it out there too. Oh my gosh! Well, he's undefeated, seven and zero, strangling people. Gosh, and knocking people out too, which is crazy. Uh, He started boxing, or at least uh, kickboxing, before he ever started jujitsu. Really? So as a kid, his his father and him. I don't know if you know, but they're the first ever American. Uh, father, son, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, black belts, and um, man, but they have this background of just everything. That's awesome. Uh, since like, you know, early 90s, just going and cross-training well, everywhere they could. He's from that old school, like it goes like Hicks and Gracie, Salo Hibero, Shanji, and then, you know, he's in that group of those, t- that style of jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu is just smush style. Oh, those guys have just tremendous pressure basics and when i say basics i mean like the hard polished tried and true techniques Mm -hmm. and it's like there's not like a lot of fancy crazy new school stuff but it's just laser sharp and just smashing power and pressure (laughs) such a big fan of that guy he's always talking about the pressure passing and just melting into (laughs) into him being a wet hot blanket on top of him just taking their air away making them give up and man honestly i've trained with guys like Carwin and Mir and Couture and Overeem and I've trained with some of the biggest heavyweights um, around and he is the only person 
and he fights at 185. He's the biggest 185er I've ever seen. I can't, huge. I can't imagine that. Uh, he, I don't know how he makes that cut, but he does it so uh, in such an incredible way. He's the healthiest guy I've ever met, most disciplined athlete, di- most disciplined person I've ever been around really? in my entire life. Obsessed with discipline and training, the the performance mindset or competitive mindset. The guy's the the best I've ever been around, but he is the only person to ever make me completely claustrophobic underneath. I've never been claustrophobic underneath anyone, and he just takes my uh, not in a weird way, but he takes my breath away. Um, and, <laughs> not in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, just it, he he makes you want to quit. He he and he's so and he's always about putting yourself in the worst position possible and becoming uncomfortable or being comfortable being uncomfortable mm, and just yeah. making yourself to where no matter where you get put like you're gonna fight out of it you're always just one step away from a finish mm. like you finishing them even if they're about to finish you you're you're just you're just a few small steps just inches away from getting out of there reversing it taking their back you know putting them on their back and mounting and just finishing and man he's he's incredible he's the only guy that i've ever seen be able to go through like 10 10 minute rounds or, or uh, sorry, 10, eight minute rounds back to back when he was training for the ADCCs. Wow. I mean, he was just an animal. No, 10 tens. It was 10 tens. And I was just blown away that he could do that. And we were having to rotate fresh guys on him. Jesus. And uh, by the end of it, he, he got tired. Of it, But that was the only time I've ever seen him tired. Like, actually tired. Um, and so he's just an absolute animal. It's a lifestyle for him. It's honestly so incredibly inspiring. And I feel like just being around him and me doing a lot of the same things that that's, what's going to make me the Bellator heavyweight champ, but like just us feeding off each other. It's really cool dynamic. But if I can be half as disciplined as he is, I'll be the most disciplined heavyweight fighter there is. Um, so it's, it's, it's pretty amazing being around him and his mindset and how he travels the world, seeking out the, um, the top instructors um, in every discipline. I mean, he's going down to Brazil to um, Evolo Evolo Sautai um, that used to be, uh, it's kind of like in Shootabox, right? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it used to be Shootabox. He goes in Curitiba, right? Yep, Curitiba, and goes and soaks up those good vibes at the the, largest waterfall in the world or one of them, Mm -hmm. Um, and then is just in training camp with these guys. Does he speak Portuguese? He does. He did, a lot of people mistake him as Brazilian, but his family's Spanish, and he grew up in Oklahoma City. So there's no Brazilian in him, but he speaks fluent um, Portuguese. Where did he and, learn? Uh, I think through jiu-jitsu. Wow. Through jiu-jitsu, being around people, always trying to put himself in those situations. And then he would go down. I think he was a 16-year-old kid, and he would go down to Brazil sometimes by himself and stay for like a month or two. Or Jesus. I think he might have done it for, for, for four months at one time. Wow. Um, so he's a really, really special individual. He's the guy that I've, I've never seen take, take a break or take off. I mean, he competed. He fought three times in Bellator this year, 3-0. Um, in between that, he had a super fight with Buchecha. Um, he had another grappling tournament. He had the ADCCs. He was just going from every two months he was competing, every two months. But he was staying healthy the whole time, too, which blew my mind because he takes his uh, – we have a place called the ARC that we train at, the Athlete Recovery Center, and it's got – hot and cold plunges and the infrared saunas and the cryotherapy and the uh, just all sorts of stuff. Those Normatech boots and our PTs there and our strength conditioning coach is right there. So it's all in one shop. And so right after he's done training, he's recovering where he gets there early and he's stretching out. And so the whole warming up truly and cooling down and taking care of your body and putting the right fuel in it, eating whole foods at all times, like just not putting garbage in your body. Um, 
man, he's going to be uh, the Bellator uh, middleweight champion um, probably pretty soon. I think they have that maybe lined up in the next two or three fights. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to see him compete against like really upper echelon guys, like guys like Musasi, mm-hmm. thing, along those lines. Yeah, the guy he just fought, um, Chris Honeycutt, was in the NCAA finals. That was the first high-level wrestler that he's competed against. He won every single round. Um, the first six fights, he finished everybody. Um, and so it's going to be exciting. If, if, if there's someone watching this that hasn't, you know, watched Rafael Lovato Jr. compete, whether it's in grappling or MMA, like go follow him because he's he's going to do it. He's going to be a champ. Yeah, he's a savage for sure. What does he weigh before he uh, makes the cut to 185? So I don't want to put a specific number, but I think it's around 210, uh, 215, 220, something like that. Um, so <laughs> I know I, uh, whenever he's in camp, he's trying to walk around at uh, less than 200 when he can. And he's about like, what, 6'2"? No, six, he's 6'4". 6'4"? 6'4", and he's got like some of the longest reach. Damn. Yeah, yeah he's at least 6'4". he gets down to 185. That's yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. And if I you see, probably like, size pull 13, up 14. his... Instagram, and you could see a picture of him with his shirt off. Homeboy is fucking shredded. Shredded, man. He's 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 got to be in the neighborhood of like eight or nine percent body fat. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, zero. <laughs> but but <laughs> just jacked, and shredded. Uh, just as a heavyweight, I've always just envied anyone that was under fifteen or whatever. So yeah, there he is. I mean, come on, son. Yeah, just shredded. And uh, and he looks Jack down at every fight. every every guy he's ever fought. I mean, if you see other weigh-in photos, like they're all looking up at him, like literally their, their yeah, chins up in the I'm air. I'm sure. And he went through him. a pretty significant injury a few years back, right? Didn't he have like he a pec tear? Or something? Yeah, I think it was the. Is there a pec tendon or something, something like, that? like that? I think it was the tendon in there that connects like the shoulder and the pec, yeah. and completely tore it, and had to have reconstructive uh, surgery. And man, the guy's so disciplined. I mean, I mean, he went through uh, like anyone, all of us athletes would, um, being bummed out a bit. But uh, you know, he had this machine that was you know moving his arm up and down, and mm-hmm. you know just sitting there. Uh, but then the guy is a planner, a visualizer. Like he takes advantage, even the times he's not on the mat, he's structuring his life around it to where he's writing down his goals and his dreams in this month's plan, the next three months' plan, uh, this week's plan. And this day's plan. I'm just wow. writing every single thing out so that way he can make sure that he's doing everything he can. Even when he's not training, he's he's training. You know, he's training wow. his mind. He's training uh, everything for that so that he can he can perform at the best. And I think that's why he competes at such a high level. And I'm I'm speaking about him like this, and but it's all true. It's all honest. I'm not just trying to give the guy props. Like he he earned that from me at least, and I think you should from pretty much anyone he competes with because. Um, Man, I mean, his match with Buchecha even was so competitive. He mm-hmm. could have easily won that match. Um, he could have won the ADCCs. I mean, easily he. Buchecha's uh, a he big got, fellow too. Yeah, I know. Like two two forty five would just like yeah, just and then world class. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, won the ADCCs. I think four. Now I'm a big Lovato fan. I think he's awesome. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to say. I, I always love when the really the highest level guys in any discipline mm. enter into MMA. Mm. You know, and when you see a guy like him who's just a just jujitsu phenom, and now he's like, okay, now I'm going to try to take over MMA. Or a guy like Gokan Saki enters mm. into the UFC. Like, oh, okay, let's see what happens when you get like a real high level guy in any discipline who enters into uh, MMA. It's always interesting because they're such specialists. Because most MMA fighters, you know, pretty good at wrestling, pretty good at jiu-jitsu, pretty good at kickboxing, but not elite mm. 
like world class, world championship level at any different discipline. Yeah. So when you see a guy who is like Rafael Lovato, who is world class at jiu-jitsu, like world championship level, and then enters into MMA, it's like, ooh, yeah. what you gonna do when he grabs you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like a, a totally different Maya. world. Yeah, yep. this, that's who Rafael is. And seeing or Verdum. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And something special about Rafael, you know. And then, but anyways, he's a. Uh, he can coach it so incredibly well too. Mm. And that's not always the case with, yeah. with a lot of athletes. I've been coached by a lot of incredible wrestlers. Um, Kenny Monday, Kendall Cross, they were incredible coaches. Kale Sanderson, um, I've been coached on the mats by Dan Gable and some other guys. Um, so absolute legends. And his coaching is also just so thorough and so exact. And it's, it's like you see the guy at the top right now who's, who's performing at the best. And he's able to teach it at such a high level that that's why he's, you know, coached up some other mm. grappling world champions and stuff like that. And now his focus is on MMA. It's just perfect timing that him and I got to train together for a full year now and taking in 2018. Both of us want to be, you know, hunting down those belts. Did you move down to Oklahoma City specifically to train with him? There was a few reasons. Um, but yeah, that was that was one of the big ones. Um, I was going to regardless uh, because Water 4 is based out of there and Fight for oh. the Forgotten is underneath Water 4. And so we're we're partners with them um, and they've taken over all the administrative stuff and we're officially an initiative underwater for that's nice yeah i mean it's the it's it's incredible um so 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 stoked that they're they're making things just um flourish we're going to serve over two hundred thousand people with clean water this year that's so incredible Um, yeah and we're doing a benefit tonight at the comedy store yeah yeah Yeah. it's going to be incredible super pumped one of many i think we're going to start doing these all the time there i just thinking we do shows there all the time and most of the time we just do shows and i'm like well why shouldn't we just do shows i mean couple times a month or so just donate all the money so that's what we're gonna do man i'm blown away by it so stoked um well i just found out right before we got on the podcast that there's a generous donor out of oklahoma city um and he's gonna match whatever comes in uh today uh, on the website whether that's at the comedy store or now um up to ten thousand dollars so the first ten thousand dollars will be matched and so that first 10,000 will be doubled. It'll turn into 20,000. Um, so just so stoked. So whatever comes in through the doors, uh, man, it can be doubled. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. Yeah, Well, you know, like the first time we did this, uh, we got Bitcoin, Mm. uh, from people and they donated Bitcoin and I have that Bitcoin on my phone and I have to get it off the phone, but that Bitcoin is now worth like $50,000. So what I did was I took that Bitcoin I took the cash version of it and I donated it to Water 4 and then I ma- matched it. And now we're up to the, so all that additional money is yours too. Like it's not mine. Oh my so gosh. it's yours. So it's like <laughs> there's an additional $45,000 in there. Yeah, so we got to get it oh, off, get it off the phone, but that, that's that'll go to Water 4 as well. Oh man, I can't this isn't fake. I can't fake this kind of smile, no, man. I'm, I'm happy so awesome. too, man. Yeah, and it's the thing is that like w- do you keep tra- it in there for a while because if you keep it in there for a while, it might be worth even more. Do you bail now? Yeah, what do you It might go way up. Oh, well then we can like, keep way, it in there. Way 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 up. Like how way? Like <clears throat> speculation in the next 6 to 12 months is at least 20,000 if not 50,000. Well, that's like way high speculation. I'm not oh my buying all into right. all Well, this that, is what so. I'll do. I'll leave it up to you guys. We'll get the, the Bitcoin off the phone, and then I'll essentially leave it up to you guys when you want to pull the trigger and take the money out of it. Okay. Because that seems to be the right. Cause like, well, let's, let's, first let's I get thought, some advi- advisors to tell us. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to get Andreas Antonopoulos. He's going to be on the podcast soon, okay. and he's the guy who set up all this Bitcoin stuff for me in the first place. 
um, the bitcoins all came in as donations. So just so anybody knows, like, because some people accused me of not donating that money to you. And I had explained to them, no, I took the Bitcoin and yeah. I just, whatever the money value of it was, then I gave yeah, that gave to that, you guys. Yeah, you gave that, for sure. So, but, I remember that. But the, what's left, I still, it's not mine. It's, it's, you know, just because I gave, I mean, I have it, but it's not mine. It's yours. So it's, it uh, is all donation. That's just, I thought as a science project, I'm like, let's just see what happens with this yeah. shit. I don't want to take it out. It could have been zero. It yeah, well, I also didn't want to turn it into money. I didn't want to cash it out. Mm. So I said, let me just give you guys whatever money it is, and I'll hold on to that, and I'll see what happens with it. But now it's worth 50 grand. Wow, that's nuts. So, yeah. well, more than that, 665. Oh, so. Jesus. Yeah, it keeps going up. It's like on a crazy spike right now. Wow, it's, it's, now it's, it's worth, worth $13,000? Yeah, Holy shit. Is, yeah. Whoa, like that's five or so coins. I that's think. crazy. And I will also put out my uh, Bitcoin address once I get it off the phone for you guys if you want to donate money. And again, all of that money, none of it goes to me. It's all going to go to Water 4. It's all going to go to Fight for the Forgotten, which is the shirt that I'm wearing. And that's what the benefit is tonight at the Comedy Store. All the money is going to Fight for the Forgotten. And you can donate, yeah. too, at, what is the website? It's fightfortheforgotten.org slash donate. And if you guys haven't paid attention to any Justin's podcast before, I'll give you a brief rundown. Justin was on The Ultimate Fighter, uh, fought for the UFC for a while, and then found his true calling going to the Congo and building wells for the pygmies. And it's just an amazing story. You could watch some of the podcasts. You could watch some of the short clips on you. And I know there's a documentary on you that's coming out soon as well. Yeah, I think it's going to be the summer of uh, 2018. And so thank you so much for even doing a sit-down interview on that. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's going to add a whole lot of value to the film and and just give it a louder uh, voice or or a wider reach because my first promise to the pygmies, and this was even – so – Man, I'm just so thankful for the support of this community and personally you, uh, because, man, when I first came on, we hadn't drilled any wells. In fact, I had just had Andy Bo, um, you know, I, was, I had held him and he's a one and a half year old boy that I held as he passed away and uh, and it wrecked me. It changed me. And it, but I knew we were going to do something with water. I just knew it. Um, but my first time on the podcast, there were zero wells drilled. I was just going to go there and live for a year. And hopefully we were going to build an incredible team. You know, that team is now 20 strong, uh, full-time, 12 part-time, um, been able to drill 70 water wells now. That's amazing. 70 communities have been transformed. Um, if that Bitcoin is 50 grand, I mean, yeah. 4,200. He said oh, 65 grand. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not a math whiz. So, uh, I, I fight for a living, but, um, but it's uh $4,200 transforms a community, uh, it, it helps our teams go out there and survey the land. We have a survey team now that gets to go out and scout it out beforehand, um, tell our teams what tools to bring out and what obstacles to expect. Um, so that's a few hundred dollars, four or $500 to go survey, um, then to drill the wells around $2,700, and then to help the community and really teach and train them. So we educate the locals with the knowledge on how to drill the wells. We equip them with the tools to be able to do it. Um, and how many then, of them can read? So uh, of our well drillers, everyone, uh, well, I think everyone can, uh, a lot of them have, have even graduated from a university of, uh, with community development degrees. Um, I mean the people that live in the, the Mabuti Congo. pygmies, yeah. uh, the Mabuti pygmies, none of them. Uh, there's a, f- I've met two people, I think two, maybe three that can actually read. 
uh, and they're the Chiefs. Um, one of them is actually an incredible guy, Chief Alondo. Um, his grandson's Jippy, and he's going to be Chief one day, and that's like my favorite little guy over there. Um, and Jippy's in school now, and uh, there's a long story with that, but it's it's one of the first times ever the Mabuti Pygmies have ever been in school, uh, and sustainably to where they can even pay their school fees, um, mm. and they can have food there because they can buy the food. Um, and so, but traditionally, they don't have a written language. Um, they don't have a calendar, so they wow. don't know their age. Um, and so they're really, really traditional hunter-gatherer society that's just uh, incredible. You'd love them. They're, you know, with the bows, they're, they're deadly. I've seen a little boy, uh, probably eight, nine, ten years old, um, climb up. Uh, the canopy of the rainforest is probably, it's well over 100 feet. It's probably 150, 200 feet. Um, and seeing a guy shimmy up there, eight, nine, ten years old, to the top. And uh, he's with a got bow. with a bow on his like hung around his neck, um, and so he goes up there, and then he's sniping you know parrots or or other kind of birds. They eat parrots. They eat anything they anything. can find, man. Yeah. So I, I, uh, one thing that they do, I, I don't know why this popped in my mind, but uh, if they're running and they're hunting after an antelope, uh, and a bee flies by, they're going to chase that bee to the hive because uh, they, they honey to them is like gold. I mean, it's, it's, they love honey, having something sweet. So they'll risk their lives to climb up into the trees. They set a fire at the bottom of the tree, let the smoke go up, and then they climb up there and they just reach in. And these are African bees. These are killer bees that they're reaching into the honey hive and just pulling it out and dropping it down in a basket or just or just plopping it down and just getting leaves. jacked with just getting stones, jacked. Huh? sometimes two people go up there and oh the one God. one guy's purpose is just to have like a a twig and leaves that, that he's hitting the, the bees off of the guy reaching in Jesus um, so he's Christ. just protecting them but then when those guys come back into the village and they have this just treasure pot of 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 honey the whole village celebrates their heroes um, and, you know, because they literally did risk their lives um, right. for their wives, for their kids, so that they could have some honey. Wow. Um, and they save it, they savor it. Uh, and it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Another thing they do is if they're on a hunt and they find a turtle, um, they'll actually make it look almost like the kids here that have like Ninja Turtle backpacks. Mm -hmm. um, they'll tie a vine around the feet of the turtle and then they put it on their back and then they go up back to hunting. And if they get an animal, if they get like Do an they kill antelope, the turtle first? No, they just keep it alive and it's on their back. And if they get a kill of an antelope or a wild hog or something like that, they actually let the turtle go. And then if really? they, yeah, uh, they, they only take what they need. So they respect the forest and its resources um, so much. So they only keep what they need. What a fucking tumultuous ride for that t poor turtle. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's like, Jesus, right I hope these that. motherfuckers find a yeah. pig. But... <laughs> 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 but 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 if they if they don't and they have food and dinner later for their kids right. and so they bring it back and they'll just cut it open and put it on the fire and uh, and, and Did boil you eat it. Turtle? Have you eaten? I've eaten turtle there. What's it like? Um, it's not the best. Uh, it's it's uh, it's really gamey and. Mm. Um, uh, it's really, really chewy, the kind that I had. Mm. Um, and I don't know what part I had, but I've, I've had even monkey there. Uh, th this was before. I was there doing the Ebola breakout and everything. Jesus. Um, but uh, I didn't know that you get it from eating monkey. And so they just <laughs> they, they eat monkey all the time. Oh, there. my eat, God. I've eaten monkey several times now. Probably, really? Uh, probably five, six, seven times. Wow. What um, does it taste like? I, it's going to sound goofy, but it's super tender. Um, it was some of the best meat I've had. The one they gave me, I think it was part of like the around the femur bone or whatever. Does it freak you out to eat a primate? Uh, it didn't. No. Uh -huh. At first, I thought it was kind of crazy. And then after I tasted it, it was really, really good. And so <laughs> after that, I mean, it's, it's, it's good. My friend Steve Rinella went to... Um 
where was it in South America that he went to? I cannot remember. Uh, but he was uh, down there hunting with this tribe, and they prefer monkey over everything. Oh, man, it's that good. Yeah. I mean, that's why. It's good. <laughs> really good. I, I'm not just saying that. I mean, it's it's really good. And they celebrate whenever whatever monkey size they bring back, whether it's a big one or a little guy, um, they're going to they're gonna really celebrate because that's some of the – they call it the sweet meat. So, what does it say he's at? Yeah, they're eating monkey stew. Does it say where he's at? Bolivia. Bolivia, that's it. Yeah, that's... Uh, I, th- I think there's even a YouTube video. Sometimes people can go check out on my YouTube channel of me trying monkey for the first time. I thought they were teasing me. And so at the end, I go, no, it's this is chicken. It's got to be chicken. And they're like, no, it's monkey. And after I got off, they walked me outside to, to where the monkey like carcass was still there and everything. And I was like, dang, this, you, this is real. Like, it's wow. really, really, really good. And I said it <laughs> tastes like chicken. Yeah, um, that's funny because Ronella said it tasted like a smoked turkey leg. Yeah. So like the way there they cook go. it, they cooked it over like, the meat like wet leaves uh, over the fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just. So, man, it's it's awesome. And we're about to get two to 3,000 more acres monkeys? of land. Oh, yeah, monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> we got a monkey harvest so. coming in. I hope so. But uh, no, I, just, I, I don't think I'd be a hunter if that was all you could hunt was monkeys. Yeah. I'd be like, I think I'm going vegan yeah, or at least vegetarian. Coming back here, you know, my wife, like, shed a tear, I think, because I ate a monkey. <laughs> and, really? Yeah. I mean, I, she she was she was like, you ate a what? <laughs> <laughs> so so I think she still thinks I just had one instead of five or six. Oh, well, now she knows. Oh, uh, yeah. Whoops. Oh, Actually, man. Yeah, she does now because <laughs> of this. But, um, man, it's it's such an adventure living out there. And so to be able to empower the locals to do it for themselves is just so key. Like, that's, that's I guess, the message I'm, I'm preaching is just the opportunity is greater than charity. That's so, why I asked you if they could read. If it's yeah. like, do they do you give them instruction manuals or how to maintain and how to the upkeep for wells or how to build a new one or... So with the pygmies, they're involved in helping us get our equipment out there. I mean, sometimes our hikes are from the nearest quote-unquote road, which none of us would call a road at all. Um, and the same drive. Some of the times the drive to the beginning of the rainforest where from the airport is four, no, six hours. The same exact drive has taken 24 hours or 48 hours. We had to dig out like 40 cars in front of us one time because they were just stuck in the mud um, and to get around it. So, But once we get to the rainforest, it can take an hour, two hours, three hours to hike each way. Um, and so a round trip <laughs> to, with one ton of well drilling equipment wow. um, is a lot. So the whole village helps us. I mean, there's an incredible Swahili proverb that basically says, if you think you – or if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And so I think it's beautiful because they, they don't even let us do all the work alone. Mm. They know that they're, we're going to come, come in there and help them with something that's so precious, that's life-saving, life-giving to them. So uh, they, they all send 100 people to come help us with our equipment. And so what, what used to take us uh, days to take in, you know, it takes us just that one trip. And so they help us get it in there. They build us huts. So basically they build us a home just like what they live in. Um, very hospitable, give us our food while we're there. They must us. be so happy that you showed up. Can Man. you imagine some big white dude from America 
out of nowhere, just like, hey, I'm going to live with you guys and make wells. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah, sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever come down here and made a well. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And meanwhile, you made 70 wells now. They must be like, how is this possible? Yeah, well, well what I love is the, the heroes of this are our 32 well drillers. We even have now, uh, I got to share on your podcast last time that Pacha Soap, which was inspired even by this podcast and listening to this, working at night, the night shift, and having a dream to start up Pacha Soap, which is in Whole Foods, and they got another brand that's in Target. It's super successful. Um, and That's awesome. Yeah, they're helping us buy land there in the Congo, um, and we're st- starting up a soap production facility. So we have an essential oil press, and we're hiring the locals to wow. be able to get all the essential oils like eucalyptus and avocado oil and palm oil and different raw materials, because the only thing they have available to them right now is car washing soap that's literally from China or from India. It's just packed with chemicals. Right. When I used it, it left me raw. I mean, like in oh, pain yeah. from it. And yeah, so, you're better off with no soap at all, just yeah. washing yourself with dirt. Right. And so, by the way, you can do that if people don't know. Yeah. If you just take dirt, like if you're somewhere and there's no no soap, just take dirt and just literally use water and mud and just wash yourself with the dirt and then rinse it all off. You're just trying to scrub off the bullshit. And dirt is probably better for you than antibiotic soaps. Mm. Yeah. For sure. And so we're about to get two to 3,000 acres more of land. So we have 3,000 there awesome, now. That's awesome, man. And it's about to be five to 6,000 acres. What if we reach out and reach out to people? Because I know a lot of people do like to go to places like that and teach English. Hmm. What if there was a way or what would be the language to teach that would be most beneficial for them down there? So language-wise is really tough because they, they speak? there's over 200 spoken languages in Congo, over Whoa. 200. And so there's five national languages. Uh, the government and schools and hospitals uh, is French. Um, it was colonized by Belgium. Uh, and it's, that's a nut story. Um, but then uh, they also speak Swahili in the east. Um, they speak Lingala in the west. Uh, they speak Banakongo. And there's one more that I'm missing. Um, when you but, talk to them, how do you? T- what do you talk to them with? So I have very, very broken uh, Swahili, very, very broken Swahili. But the Swahili they speak there is um, it's mixed with a little bit of French um, and also uh, the local language. So you you've got to truly li- live there. Right. And over the last six years, I've been there for about maybe a year. In seven, eight year, nine months, uh, boots on the ground, um, a year at one time. And then, uh, man, it, but, but the, the saying about Swahili is that it was born in Tanzania. It got sick in Kenya. It died in Uganda and they took it to the Congo to bury it because they can't communicate with anyone in Uganda or, I mean, not, not truly communicate and wow. get their point across. So it's what it's I meant really by tough. teaching them English is um, teaching them how to read. Yeah. Like I just think that if you could somehow or another teach them some language where they could read and write things down, and you, like you could just keep keep this thing going. Yeah, with them while they're there. What what I think is really cool is now um, we we've got this video up on uh, it's uh, on YouTube. It's Chief Leo May's transformation, and so Chief Leo May. Uh, in his village, it was just an incredible transformation. They had never owned land of their own, but Chief Leome remembered uh, his grandfather used to actually take him to hunt on that land that they now own. And so uh, now it's theirs, and his grandson's going to be able to say, you know, this was my grandfather's land, just like he's able to say, you know, I used to hunt with my grandfather here. 
But um, so from the land that they have, they have land, water, and food. There they have about 500 acres, I believe. And so then they have their own water. And now they've grown so many banana trees there. They used to get paid one to two bananas a day for labor. From sunup to sundown, a banana or two a day. Now they have hundreds and hundreds of banana trees. I mean, probably five, 600 banana trees in that one village. Oh. And from that, they're able to go sell it. When they sell it, they can buy their own clothes for the first time. They can uh, now pay school fees so that they can actually go to the local school and learn to read and write. It's a little bit of a hike for them, but they can go learn and read and write. And so it's the first time that, I mean, it could even create an opportunity for the Mabuti Pygmies to have um, representation at their version of Congress in the Congo for the wow. first time ever. There's over 200 tribes represented there. The only one not represented is the Mabuti Pygmies. And so to get them educated, uh, the excuse used to be from the government was they're not, a, they're not really uh, people. They're part man, part animal. That was the government saying that, I think, in the early 2000s. Um, maybe the late 90s, but early 2000s, they were saying they were half man, half animal, that they'll never have representation. But now it's started to shift to where we even have a governor, the governor of the largest state in Congo, um, sponsoring everything we do, you know, endorsing it, saying, hey, you have free range of the Ituri region, and we want you to drill here, and we want you to drill there. And so he's actually come on our side and said, what, the work you guys are doing is really great because it's through the locals. It's locally led. Um, and so to have that opportunity, once some of the Mobutu Pygmies are educated, have a high school education, maybe we can get them to a local university there or right next door, <clears throat> maybe in Uganda, Rwanda, Kenya, um, then they can go back and they can actually start representing themselves. Um, because now they say, if they're educated, then we can, but none of them are educated. Right. Uh, so it would draw out the process longer, but now they're, you know, the next generation will be. And that's what's inspired you also to get back into MMA again. Yeah. And that inspired you to sign up with Bellator. And since then, you've had three fights? Three fights. And won all three. Yep. And uh, now you're one of the top Bellator heavyweight contenders. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of crazy. Because when we first talked, you hadn't fought in a long time. and you were Five years, two months. Yeah. And you weren't training. You were just kind of like going back and forth to the Congo. And then, right. you know, that had to be a crazy thing to just get back into it after all that time out. It was the hardest thing I've ever done, um, physically at least. I'm sure, I, to get yourself back in that kind of shape. In between my first and second fight back, I had malaria again, um, and that was my third time to have that. He's got malaria uh, three times, folks, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and so that time I, I got malaria while I was there. Because it was so bad, I broke out in shingles, um, which, you know, being 30, just now turning 30, so then I was like 28 or 29, um, to have shingles, the doctor's like, you're too young for this. And uh, my body was just that stressed out. Too young out. for shingles? Yeah. I've heard I get, of people getting shingles. Well, uh, like I fighters. Guess, I guess normally, uh, that might be like impetigo or met herpes, something right. like that, but I they did the culture or whatever, and it was mm -hmm. shingles. Um, and it's supposed to be an older generation thing, I think. And uh, No kidding. I didn't know shingles. Is it I because they say uh, it starts like 40 and beyond. Is it a compromised um, immune issue? Is that what it is? The yeah. The idea? Mm -hmm. And so it, it's, it's actually chicken pox coming back out in your body. So if you haven't had chicken pox, you can't have shingles. Um, and so it's like it lays dormant in your body. And then once you get into older age or your immune system is compromised, then shingles can Whoa. reappear. That is the most fucked up thing about the human body, that it harbors these bacteria, and they mm. sit there waiting, just waiting, yeah. biding my time to <laughs> fuck up your life. Yeah. Waiting. Yeah, and so then I had, oh, man, dude, I had that, then I had shingles, and then I came back, and for uh, a month or two months, the doctors were trying to figure out what was wrong with me because I was clear of malaria. 
Um, but the CDC did two tests on me for malaria again, but they found out I had dengue fever. So Jesus I was, every, every night I was going to sleep, I was waking up and that was probably... Did you tell them you ate a monkey? Uh, I, I did. I did. And then they did wanted they look to look at you like sideways. Like, <laughs> the fuck, bro? They wanted to do the quarantine thing on me. Um, oh, boy. And so, but it had been over three months uh, since I had since Ebola had broken out and it had been three months since I'd been back. What happened to Ebola? Ebola was like going to kill us all just like a year ago. Remember? Everybody's freaking out. That one lady who's a, a nurse who wouldn't be quarantined. She's like, fuck you. I'm going outside. Like, no, she's going to kill us all. You selfish bitch. <laughs> So, so Ebola was actually discovered in Congo. Uh, there's a river called the Ebola River. Oh, great! Um, and so that's that's where it was discovered, and it actually came back. It broke out since the big crazy one. It broke out, and I think it was like less than 100 people. It might have been like 10 um, or less. And so they really were able to contain it, which is impressive to be able to do in Congo because it's not as organized as as anywhere else. Um, but yeah, so man, but on the MMA journey back. It, it was it was really really tough. I mean, the muscle memory just was not there. Mm. <laughs> I had lost the wrestling I grew up with, um, and the cardio obviously wasn't there after five years off. Um, but the sicknesses, other things, my body was healed. Uh, the muscles and joints and uh, ligaments and all that. I think uh, I, I felt better than ever there. It was just the muscle memory wasn't coming back, and um, the cardio was really tough, and I had to shed some weight. Um, yeah, the muscles just get healthy. The muscles and the the cartilage and the joints and everything like that they probably benefited from all that time off, right? Just, I think so a lot. Because so many guys get by the time you're 30. I mean, how many MMA fighters are just have like really huge injuries by yeah. the time they're 30, 31 years old? It's pretty common. Yeah, to start, I fought, started fighting uh, at 19 years old professionally MMA, and so um, and I was always the young guy in the heavyweight division. Um, and so now just turning 30, I feel like I got a lot of miles left on me having those five years off. And so a lot uh, of life experience too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I honestly think a lot of people are like, oh, so you didn't, you took off and that's probably impossible for me. It was a whole other kind of training. I mean, kind of like I was talking about Raphael and uh, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Mm. I mean, I've slept in the mud, uh, woke up in the mud, at least slept on the dirt, woke up in the mud because the rain came so hard and sleeping under twig and leaf huts on the dirt, you know, no, no mattress underneath, you know, anything. Um, and so, I mean, to have that to battle through the sicknesses, to, to see what they suffer from and how they dig deep on a daily basis. Um, they're in survival mode and to see the battles they fight. And then to have, you know, 32 of my heroes there that have drilled 70 wells that whenever a bridge collapses because a truck is illegally logging and they overloaded their, their weight and they just collapse this 1930s bridge. And then I think, Oh, what's going to be impossible. And then they get out of the truck. They start walking through the water with all our well drilling equipment. And we're going to find another way. We're going to get, uh, taxi motorcycles to, to ride in everything we needed this big truck uh, to carry in. And so it's going to take a lot longer. It's going to be a lot harder, but we're going to get it done and we're going to win this fight. So you feel like that was a, a training sort of tool for you? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say this, but um, or I don't want to compare it to this, but it's almost like uh, it was a life experience and kind of like some of our Navy guys, Navy SEALs, where <coughs> they do the special forces training. Um, I think this was my version of like kind of special training for me as a fighter. It, it enlarged uh, my heart or deepened the well of who I am. Um, and so I think I just have more of a motivation uh, to go in there and win. Than it feels like guy. your submission game has really come up a lot now. Yeah. 
It just so I have the wrestling, like yeah. and now my submission game is on point. Being with yeah, you're a blue belt Lovato. now under Lovato. Right. Nice. Yeah, and uh, and I, I wanted to do it um, the right way. I wanted mm-hmm. to do it the way that, that, that every other student does it. And so it was it was really cool uh, to get that. I didn't know that that would mean so much to me, uh, but it but it really did. Crazy, right? Uh, yeah, it's nuts, <laughs> man. It's nuts how that award or that that promotion um, is a milestone in my martial arts journey. That's why it's so good for kids. Martial arts yeah. are so good for kids because it gives them a tangible representation of their hard work. Mm. Like you get give them a belt and they tie on that belt and they have this giant smile on my face. You know, when my kids uh, my kids take martial arts and when they get a new belt, they have this giant smile on their face. They're so happy and they jump around, they look at it, they want to wear it home and that was me. squeeze it. Yeah, <laughs> me too, man. I remember when I got my blue belt, I was like, holy shit, I'm not a white belt anymore. Yes. Yeah. You know, you feel like I've, I've, I made it over the hump. And the, what they say is if you can make it to purple belt, you can make it to black belt. Yeah. That's the, the blue belt is like you're just working hard. If you work hard, you get there. Hey, you know, you're not, you're not at white belt anymore. But yeah. if you can get to purple belt, like, hey, man, just keep going and you can be a black belt. Yeah. And in, in Lovato's school of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it says um, a black belt is a white belt who never quit. Yeah. So that's that's a great quote. Big. I've heard that before. Yeah, I like it, man. It's yeah. a, an interesting time now for jujitsu and MMA. It really is because you're seeing like some guys like uh, this weekend, Brian Ortiz, hmm. um, Ortega rather. Brian yeah, Ortega, Ortega is fighting uh, Cub Swanson, and Brian Ortega. T- I'm trying to remember his na- nickname. T City, T City, Triangle right. City. He's got one of the best guards in MMA. Yeah, and Ortega is fucking nasty off of his back. I mean, he's just. He's you, so he, good. Do you think he lulls them to sleep with his baby blue eyes? And He's then, and then beautiful face. It up? Beautiful <laughs> face. His long flowing locks just like you. Yeah, so Brian is, um, in my opinion, probably the best guy in the division off of his back. I don't think there's anybody that could fuck with him at 145, especially now that Charles Oliveira is moved up to uh, 55. I think he's the best at 45. His fucking submission game is so lightning, t- lightning fast and just tight as can be but cub swanson's a black belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu too and cub is a nasty striker too and super unorthodox like real weird but brian is a fucking great striker too and brian is un-motherfucking defeated Hmm. 12 and 0 with uh one no contest so i'm that's an interesting fight fuck yeah it is it's it's like uh a you know it's it's a real crossroads fight in a lot of ways because cub is at the top of the heap in the 145 pound division he's lost to some of the big guys like max holloway lost to frankie edgar but he's still really respected and thought of as one of the top guys in the division and ortega being this young prodigy at mm. 12 and 0 has this opportunity now to fight one of the most crafty veterans in the division so, i sound, like it sounds like a similar opportunity that nagano just had that mm-hmm. francis just had you know to to be that young lion yep. to come up and to yeah. throw in a guy and really announce himself as, as one of the top contenders. Ortega can submit anybody in the world. I really believe that. And he, he'll box with you, too. The thing about Ortega is, like, he'll make it seem like there's no intention whatsoever to go to the ground. And then sometimes he boxes guys up, and then when they want to take him to the ground because they don't like the stand-up, that's when they're fucksville. Mm. He's got an interesting strategy in that regard because in the last fight, I was thinking, like, wow, this is kind of interesting. We're in the third round. He still has not tried to submit this guy. Like, that's his game. And then, boom, they go to the ground, and he instantly catches him with a guillotine. But the reason they went to the ground, his opponent took him down because he didn't like the stand-up. 
That's smart. Yeah. So his That's strategy, his stand up keeps coming up higher and higher and higher. But when it comes to jujitsu, he's one of the very best in the sport. He's really good. How far away is he from here? Where he trains? He's close. He's in Black House. Black House is in Compton, um, or that area. So it's I don't know if it's exactly Compton. It's Compton adjacent. But uh, so there's that. Go to the go to the two two nineteen card. Oh, you know what? Go to the fucking um, the Fox card. That's a big one. That is, yeah, that one right there. Oh man, Robbie Lawler, Rafael dos Anjos, good former lightweight Mowgli. and welterweight champ. Yeah, man, that is fucking interesting. And he's been doing so great, man. Yeah, well, like Lovato. Yeah. I mean, uh, Dos Anjos, what he has done um, in going up from 155 to 170, there was like, well, he was the champ, but he lost to Eddie Alvarez. Well, let's see how he does at 170. Looks way better. I mean, steamrolling people. The way he fucked up Neil Magny, leg oh kicked gosh. him to the ground, took him to the ground, smushed him. Yep. I mean, he beat Tarek Safadine in a stand-up fight, which is like, wow. Safadine is world-class striker. Yeah, Neil, Neil's a buddy of mine, and he is an absolute monster. And to have seen that fight, I mean, Rafael Desanos looks incredible at this weight. Yeah, he's, uh, that's, it's very interesting because I think he's supposed to be at 170 all along. Mm. It's not like he's a big 155-er that's made it up to 170, but he's kind of small at 170. No, he looks like a 170. And... Of course, he's fighting one of the best 170s ever in the former champ, Robbie Lawler. So that that should be a perfect fight for Fox, because you know, just to for fun. I mean, it's going to be a chaotic fight for. There's never been a goddamn boring Robbie Lawler fight ever. Yeah, you know, (laughs) he doesn't even know how to have a boring fight. Very, very, very true. What do you think of the Lamas fight? I like it, but Lamas was obviously training for. for Aldo. Right. And so, uh, you know, he gets this change of guard. Now he's fighting Josh Emmett, who's a, who's a tough customer. And Emmett, a lot of people don't know him, but he's 12-1. and one. It's a good fight. Very good fight. I'm excited to see how that goes out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about that, but I'm also excited about the Ponzinobbio-Mike Perry fight. Yeah. I almost want this fight to just happen so Darren Till can fight Mike Perry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm almost like rooting for Mike Perry just so he can get out of it and they can make that Darren Till Mike Perry fight. Because if they do decide to make that, because I know they tried to make Mike Perry versus Wonderboy and Dana even announced it and, and Wonderboy was like, hey, 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 slow the fuck down. Like the guy had one fight in the UFC. I just fought for the title twice and then beat um, uh, Jorge uh, Masvidal. Right. And then... You're, you're going to have me fight this guy, like, right away? Like, this is crazy. And, by the way, my thumbs hurt. He had, like, injuries in his thumbs. He was, like, he got his thumbs. He was talking about it after the fight that he fucked up the tendons in his thumbs mm-hmm. when I was interviewing him. He's like, something happened in my hand. I thought it broke it. I'm not sure. So he's got a, he's got a lot of rest to, to go through. So Darren Till's looking for an opponent. And they were talking about Darren Till versus Kamaru Usman, mm. which is very exciting as well. Because Kamaru Usman, who's slated, go to UFC 219. Usman is slated to fight against um, Meek Mill. I've known him since we were 15. Usman, we, Meek, we grew up Meek wrestling Meek. together. Emil Meek. Yeah. Meek oh, Mill's yeah. a rapper. Meek Mill's a rapper, right. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck's wrong with me? Emil oh. Meek, who is uh, the, the, the crazy Viking motherfucker. In high school, people called Usman U.S. Man for some reason. Uh, but Why? he's just a, 
because know. of the way it's spelled. Yeah, but he's, he's a, a terrifying guy. He is. He, he's it, one of the most terrifying guys in the sport. What I love seeing is, I think in high school, our senior year, I think he graduated, or sorry, I think he finishes senior year fourth in the state of Texas. Um, so number four in, in wrestling. Uh, and then he went on to UNK or Nebraska Kearney. And well, he you never fought Meek Mill. <laughs> <laughs> Emil Meek is a scary guy. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, was really looking forward to this fight. And then there was some talk of the fight night taking place because Emil couldn't get his visa settled out, sorted out. But then he got it sorted out. And Kamaru Usman was saying, hey, you know, I've already moved on. Hmm. And, and then so lately, uh, Emil Meek's Instagram and his uh, Twitter has been calling Kamaru Usman a chicken and saying he's ducking him and all kinds of crazy shit. So I do not know if this is official. I'm hoping that this is official because someone needs to challenge Usman. I mm. think Usman is one of the most dangerous and scary guys in the division, and he's not being talked about. Someone in the top ten that he's, yeah. he's earned that spot, I think. I believe so, there. too. There's so many tough guys in that division that he's sort of kind of been overlooked, in my opinion. And to me, when I watch him fight, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy's a handful for everybody. I think Usman – pull that card back up, please. I think Usman is just uh, – he's got all the tools. He's in his prime. He's fucking super dangerous everywhere, super dangerous standing up, smashes people on the ground, really fucking strong for the division, T top game, out of control. You know, we don't know what happens when he gets put on his back. We don't know what happens if he gets tagged, if he fights a world-class striker that could right. stand up. But what a Meek Mill brings to the table, Emil Meek, I did it again, what uh, Emil Meek brings to the table is nasty power and a real warrior spirit. Yeah. I mean, Emil, yeah, he came into the, the UFC after a KO victory over Husamar Pajares. Mm, I remember uh, that. Yeah. I remember I watched that. I was like, get this guy in the UFC, please. Right yeah. yeah. Like, he's a fucking animal. And the, the thing is, everybody's running away from Kamaru Usman except Emil Meek. Mm. And maybe Meek Mill. We haven't asked him. <laughs> yeah. He said Colby Covington's ducking him too right now. Oh, Kamaru uh, Usman said that? Yeah. Yeah. Of course he is. Everybody's ducking him. But also, Colby would be wise because Colby's made so much noise after beating Damian Maya. And try, he's trying to get a fight with Tyron Woodley. He's trying to, like, he's trying to promote himself. And the, the worst way to promote yourself is to fight Kamaru Usman. <laughs> but, but Emil Meek is like, get me in there, bitch. Let's do it. So I, I sincerely hope that this fight actually takes place because I think, uh, I think it's a fucking wicked, wicked fight. And uh, I want to see if uh, Emil has any answers for the problems that Kamaru Usman brings to the octagon. Because no one has so far. And, I mean, he's got one loss in his record. I do not know if that was in the UFC or outside the UFC. But in the last few fights we've seen him since he's won the Ultimate Fighter, he's just been unstoppable. But, again, not getting the credit that he deserves. Yeah, it's all, all of his fights inside the octagon seem to be all victories. He, he's one of the most naturally athletic guys that I've ever known. That's what I meant by growing up wrestling with him. He started wrestling in high school and finished fourth in the state, but then he went on to the NCAA's Division Two and just won, two. I think, two national titles or maybe three, and uh, he's a stud. Well, the big fight for me on this card is not just the title fight between Cyborg and Holly Holm, but yeah, that one. Mm. Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Edson Barboza. Come on, son. Number two and number three in the lightweight division which is the most stacked division i think it's like lightweight and welterweight are the two most stacked divisions but it's hard to 
it's hard to pick which one is most stacked, but Jesus Christ, I like this fight. I like this fight a lot. And apparently Nurmagomedov has a new, according to Daniel Cormier, he told me Nurmagomedov has a new conditioning guy and a okay. new or a new uh, dietitian guy, new nutrition guy, and uh, less dessert, no tiramisu. <laughs> he's backing off the tiramisu. He's uh, got him, you know, on a very strict diet plan, and he's far lighter than he's ever been. And we're headed into this That's fight. Great. This fight is in what two weeks now? The thirtieth, so and today is three weeks away. Three weeks away. Yeah. So very exciting, very interesting. I'm fucking pumped for that fight because Barboza is one of the best strikers in the division for sure. And Khabib can't do anything wrong on the feet because Edson can light, light him up for sure. I mean, this is the best striker, for sure the best striker that Khabib has fought. He fought Michael Johnson, who's a good striker. And Michael Johnson caught him and tagged him and had him rocked. And it was the first time we saw any adversity whatsoever. Or any real like real struggle for Khabib, but he went on to dominate that fight. And he took him to the ground, and just beat the shit out of him. And he's twenty four and zero, which is unprecedented. You know, twenty four and zero, and just been steamrolling everybody. Mm. So, he's only like thirty, right? Twenty nine, thirty, something like that. I do not know his age, but anyways, he's I, he's. I feel like he's not even in his prime yet. What how, what does it say here? Twenty nine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's like he's like right at the door if, of his athletic If he athletic can stay healthy, prime. I know he's had a bunch of injuries, but if he can if he can get healthy and stay healthy, man, it's going to be scary to see what he does. Yeah, for Barboza, it's all about just keeping the fight standing, and Barboza has wicked leg kicks. He's the only guy in the UFC that stopped two guys with leg kicks. Um, he stopped uh, Rafael Oliveira with leg kicks and Mike Lulo, both those guys he stopped with leg kicks. How do I remember that? I don't know. But uh, his, uh, his, his leg kicks are amongst the fastest I've ever seen in any division. His switch kick, fastest switch kick I've ever seen. It's fucking ridiculous. When he, when he lights it up, like off that left leg, you're like, Jesus. Like, it's like he's, he's getting there with half the time that most world-class fighters get there with that kick. So that's uh, that's well, interesting. Yeah, spinning hill, hill kick is like, oh, yeah, ridiculous. As fast as most people's just normal head kick. Yeah, his spinning shit's out of control. He's just a ridiculous striker. But it's all about Nurmagomedov getting him to the ground. The question is, he's going to be able to stuff the takedown. What's the strategy they have for this guy on the feet? Are they going to have him open up and possibly give up that takedown? Or are they going to have him cautious and just throwing punches and just constantly wary about the takedown defense? Because Nurmagomedov, is, he has been unchallenged when it comes to the grappling. Mm-hmm. He's so goddamn strong. It's crazy. He's dominant. Well, even guys like Dos Anjos, who's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, usually puts the smush on people. Right. You know, Nurmagomedov puts the smush on him. He gets the guys to break, too. Like, you see it in their face. They're like, fuck, I can't do anything against this guy. Yeah, he grew up doing it to bears, so that's mm-hmm. why. Yeah, <laughs> for real, like legitimately. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. My wife didn't believe that, so I had to pull it up and show her. And she's like, what are, what are they doing to yeah. him? Like, why? <laughs> that's a baby. Why do they make that baby fight a bear? <laughs> he was like six, seven, eight years old, and a bear's just biting him in the arm. Yeah, Jimmy Rivera versus John Lineker. That's a fucking great fight, too. That's up in the right-hand corner there. Woo! That's, that's a good fight. That's a real good fight. Jimmy Rivera has looked insanely good. At 135, especially that victory over Uriah Faber, I was super impressed with that. I was like, wow, like this guy is for real. I knew it was for real before, but Rivera was supposed to be fighting Dominic Cruz, but Dominic Cruz broke his arm in training, and so now he's fighting John Lineker, who's a scary fucking guy at 135. 
Yeah, I like this a lot for Jimmy because you can just hear every every interview he does. He's he's just hungry, mm-hmm. hungry for the chance to be world champ. Yeah, so uh, it's exciting to see this fight happening. I like it too. And there's interesting. Um, T.J. Dillashaw just shut John Lineker down. Mm-hmm. I mean, completely shut down his offense, and almost was that like was having beautiful. F- beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I mean, it was a perfect example of how you play the matador, mm-hmm. like a, a like a technical matador. I mean, that was like one of his finest performances because Lineker is fucking terrifying. Like everybody's in a war with Lineker. You know, like uh, Ian McCall, like everybody who fights Lineker winds up being in these goddamn war. Friend, uh, so many, so many guys, they get in there with him and they get hit by him, and you just see it on their face. Like Jesus Christ, he's one of the few guys that actually earned that nickname. Yeah, hands of stone. Yeah, it's Francisco Rivera. Like yeah. so many guys, he's fought. He cracks them, and you just see the look in their eyes. Like, oh Christ. Um. So he beat. Who did he, oh, okay. He beat Marlon Vera, which is uh, a very good fight. The TJ Dillashaw loss, I think, was the most telling because TJ Dillashaw figured out a way how to solve that puzzle mm-hmm. when John Dodson couldn't, which was really interesting. John Dodson lost to Lineker when Dodson was thought to be one of the best guys in the division at 135, and he lost to him with a split decision. You know, he fucked up Michael McDonald in the fight before that. And he's just, he's just something special, man. You know, he really is. He's, um, he's a, a tank of a guy. But I really honestly believe that uh, Jimmy Rivera is world class. And I think this is a, a good opportunity for him to fight against uh, a big, scary tank of a guy in John Lineker and, uh, and show his, 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 his talent and his ability. I think it's a real test. I'm really, interesting to see, really interested to see how this works out. Because Rivera's not like uh, an elusive T.J. Dillashaw type guy. He's an attacker. So how is he going to, you know, what is he going to do with Lineker? Is he going to chop the legs? He's going to attack from below like he did with Uriah? Like he fucked Uriah's leg up real early in that fight mm. to the port where it uh, really limited Uriah's mobility. That's, a, that's an interesting fight. I like that fight a lot. Carlos Condit returns. Yeah, against Magny. Dun, dun, dun. That's interesting too. Carlos has been out for quite a long time. I want to say two years. Yeah. Click on his thing. Let's find out when his last fight was. I want to say it was about two years ago. And didn't he? He lost to Damian Maya and say that he was talking about retirement or he was retiring then. Yes. Yeah. Okay. August two thousand sixteen. So not quite that long ago. Mm-hmm. And then um, before that, he lost the Robbie Lawler fight, which was a crazy five round war, and he lost a split decision. Tiago and lost to Ty- Tyron, so I mean those. <laughs> the victory over Tiago was phenomenal. That's, that's, he caught him with that elbow. Yeah, that's yeah. murderer's row of his last opponents, man. Yeah, and the, Ty- the Tyron Woodley loss was by injury. It says K- T- KO TKO, but the reality is Tyron hit him with a brutal leg kick, and his uh, his knee blew out. Yeah, remember? Yeah, with switches, you know. I mean, apparently it hurt it before. But the power that Tyron Woodley has in his fucking leg kicks, like Christ, Tyron Woodley had some choice words about Kobe Covington too. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, talking about Colby, like, campaigning hard to get the fight and talking all kinds of crazy shit about him. But Tyron was saying, like, this, first of all, everything he's saying about our training sessions is 100% bullshit. Mm. And he's like, when I get that dude in the octagon, if he ever does get that shot, he goes, I'm going to fuck him up. (laughs) 
And I see, he was, you know, Colby Covington is never going to fight again after he faces me. That's what he wow. said. Yeah, he was, we were talking um, before the weigh-ins. We were uh, standing around the octagon before the weigh-ins this uh, past UFC in Detroit. And he was, he was like shaking his head. He's like, I am going to fuck that dude up. He's like, he does not understand. He's not on my level. He's talking all kinds of shit. He's, you know, writing all these checks that there's no way his fucking talent can cash. And when I get him in there, I'm going to smash him. And he goes, I'm going to take my time on him. I'm going to try to hurt him. He, this is what he said to me. That's crazy. He goes, I have never tried to hit anyone with all my power in the octagon. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> How is that? How's that possible? He sends people flying across the octagon. Watch his fight with Jay Heron. Oh, yeah. Go, you can fight. Oh, you can hit somebody harder than that. Are you sure? Because <laughs> that's that doesn't seem normal. That doesn't seem right. Talking about his light kicks, I was just going to ask you, what did you think of being there uh, for the the Gaethje Alvarez fight? Jesus, that was great. Gosh, it was amazing. There was two fights that night that made that was that were humbling. Um, that was one of them. That fight was humbling, like the fucking guts and glory. Watching those guys go at it. But Yancey Medeiros and Cowboy Oliveira might have been even crazier. I think that was the craziest fight of the night. And I believe that one performance of the night. Thank the baby Jesus. Because if it didn't, there was some criminal shenanigans afoot. It was the craziest fight ever. They, one would get rocked, and then the other would get rocked. And you'd think the fight was over, and then the other one would come back and rock the other one. And then finally Yancey won in the third round. I mean, it was just a fucking chaotic war. Hmm. It was such a good fight. Just such a good fight. Two yeah. bonuses. Two fight of the night awards. That's nice. See, that's what I love about the UFC. When, when people really perform and lay it on the line like that. But... Did Aldo, did Haldo, uh, Aldo and Holloway win any sort of a fight of the night? I know Francis didn't, but they said they were going to Yeah, they were going to hook really him up with some sort of, of a bonus. Yeah. How do you not give that guy KO of the <laughs> night? What, what are we doing here? What is it? <laughs> What's that? It doesn't say. It just says that those two got fight of the night. It doesn't say anything about anything else. Oh, okay. <clears throat> well, so it says that fight get fight of the night? No, 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 no. The J- Gaethje... Gaethje and Cowboy Oliveira, Yancey Medeiros, got fight of the night. Well, Max Holloway's performance was nothing short of masterful. Nothing short of masterful. The way he handled Aldo, the way he, he, he yelled at me after the first round. He gets done with the, the round, and he runs, he's going back to his, and he looks at me and goes, The man is tired. tired! The man is tired! He's a motherfucker. Dude, Max Holloway is a real fucking warrior. I mean, to the core. That guy relishes it. He loves it. When he was like, like chicken necking at Aldo, mm-hmm. and he's got his hands down, he's talking shit to him and stalking him. You could see it in Aldo's face, like he was drowning. Mm-hmm. You could see the waves were coming, and he knew he wasn't going to be able to dog paddle for too long. Like he's like Jesus Christ. Like how am I going to keep up with this guy? And the thing about Max Holloway that's so interesting is he's he, in a lot of ways he has that sort of Nick Diaz approach, where he's not hitting you with all of his might. Mm. He's not throwing these haymakers unless he's got you hurt. Until he's got you hurt. Once he's got you hurt, then he's just fucking whipping bombs your way. But until then, he's just constantly on you, just constantly peppering you, constantly on your kick, knee, punch, move forward, move forward. And you're just dealing with him and trying to breathe. You don't get any breath. 
And he just keeps that pressure on you. And he knew Aldo was fading right now. And I'll tell you, Aldo looked good in that first yeah, round. Yeah, I thought he was going to start picking it up like almost the Aldo of old with the leg kicks. He should have. Just leg kick, leg kick, leg he kick. He should have. He should have gone. His strategy should have been almost entirely leg kick centered. Right. And he was trying to catch him. And he caught him with a couple of good punches. But all of his punches are sprints, right? And if yeah. he doesn't knock you out with those sprints, like he only has so many of those in the gas yeah. tank. You're fighting the guy that can do it for a marathon. So. And, he, and he can. And Max Holloway can. He is so well-conditioned and so aware of his ability and not stretching himself. So when they got to the third, he started slugging it out with Aldo at the very beginning of the third. He's like, I know this guy's tired. He goes, I'm going to make him sprint with me. Hmm. And you could see, like, as the the beginning of the third round played out, Aldo was swinging wild at him. And I was watching this. I was, uh, I was like, this is not conservative like he's not conserving his energy at all what he's doing is trying to take max holloway out with one shot mm. and he's blowing out his entire wad doing this and then you saw holloway just coming out coming on coming on just bang 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 pop 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 Gosh. pop pop and all those trying to move his head and he's using all his head movement but he never gets a break yeah it's an incredible pace that holloway Incredi- has incredible he doesn't give you any Output. space you don't get any rest mm. you don't get he does there's no laying back with holloway max holloway's on you on you on you I love what he said about fighting Aldo in Rio, too. He goes, that's what kings do. <laughs> he goes, they go to the other person's village and they take their crown. I was like, ooh. That's right. That's what they do. That's what he did. He's the baddest motherfucker. I think he's the best 145-er ever. I mean, he might not agree with it yet because of the record, which I see, I see his point. But the way he fights, the, the octagon IQ that he shows... His, his fight IQ, his ability to find a weakness and to see it, his predatory behavior inside the octagon, I think he's the best. I really do. I just think I, I, it's so impressive to me that he's not like Aldo in his prime was spectacular and amazingly impressive. Like his flying knee first round knockout of oh, Cub yeah. Swanson, the knockout of Chad Mendez. You know, I mean, he's he's uh, the, the Uriah Faber fight where he brutalized Uriah's leg. I mean, he's unquestionably. One of the greats of all time, but in my opinion, skill-wise, Max Holloway has now surpassed him. I think he's the best. Yeah. What are your takes, who, or who do you have for the Bellator heavyweight tournament? I'm fucking very curious about that. First of all, I thought it was really interesting they decided to go with Mitrione versus Roy Nelson right a out rematch. of the gate. Yeah. I thought that was interesting because... First of all, Mitrione just knocked out Fedor, mm-hmm. right? Wouldn't you like want to see that again? Like, doesn't, does Fedor want to see that again? Because Mitrion's fighting Frank Mir. I do not know what kind of testing that Bellator is employing, but I hope it's Wild West-style testing. <laughs> I hope they pee in a cup, hold it up to the light, and if nothing's swimming in it, they go, you're good. <laughs> Let them well, roll. Yeah, I'm kind of campaigning right now to be the alternate. So I would love, love, love to be the alternate in the tournament. What is your ranking in the Bellator uh, heavyweight division right now? Do they have one? I'm not sure that they really have an official one. So, um, But I'm... You know, I think if if I'm not in there for this as the alternate, I think that I'll be one of the first title defenses. That's what I'll, I'll be hoping for, and um, I'll stay active. I'm going to fight. Hopefully, I'll pick it up to two, two, three fights a year. Um, and, and King then, Mo is in the heavyweight tournament with yeah. Ryan Bader, yeah, who's the that's light heavyweight champion. That's going to happen in May. It's Chael versus Rampage yeah. in January. 
then it's the the Roy Nelson and Matt Mitrione in February, and then they have the Fedor versus Frank Mir um, in April. So they're going to take a break in March. The only thing I don't like about this is it locks everybody up for a yeah. long ass time. Like I would like it if that was all on like two shows, yeah, or maybe even one crazy card. You know, have all the fights on one card. Yeah, I think Mir has to wait till April. So why I is that for his contract? Uh, I think it's the testing that he had in the UFC, and then uh, don't he, test he, him, Bellator. Don't he, do it. He, <laughs> <laughs> and so I think he's suspended until April, and then oh, he can okay. and then he can fight. Um, and so, but that that fight, I think uh, probably a lot of fans ten years ago, but but now too are going to be really excited to see Mir versus Fedor. You know, to kind of. Legendary champions, oh, yeah, man. Um, and then uh, I don't know why the Bader one and King Mo ones all the way back in May, but well, I King think, Mo's had some pretty significant injuries that he's had to deal with. Okay, and, and Bader just fought recently, so maybe mm-hmm. he needed some time too. Yeah, um, but yeah, maybe it's the injuries with Mo. And but man, I'm excited. So I'm I'm just training and ready to jump in. I'm uh I'm actually getting to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Maybe uh, well, yeah. actually, I'm 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 deciding on it this next week. Um, to see if I can cement the alternate position or not. To me, the big one is Rory McDonald, Douglas Lima. Mm. That's the big one. Yeah. That's the big January. one. January. That's the big one. That's going to be big. That's the one where I'm like, okay. Because I feel like when it comes to the welterweight division, Bellator has two guys in Lima and in the, – see, the Lima thing, the only thing that stands out in the Lima thing is Ben Askren. It was Ben Askren, and it was a long time ago. No doubt about it. But Ben Askren just had his way with Lima hmm. and had his way with Koroshkov, had his way with all these guys. That, to me, and Ben's coming on the podcast next month. We got him scheduled. Awesome. Uh, before or after, I forget which one, the uh, event out here, the uh, Bellator event. But I feel like that is, I mean, now that he's retired, that is my biggest regret that he didn't get in MMA, that he didn't get into the UFC. UFC. Yeah. My biggest regret. Yeah, I wish they could have worked that out, whatever it was. Fuck. I wanted to see what would happen. Yeah. You want to see what happens with him and Tyron Woodley. You want to see what happens with him and world-class wrestlers who are also knockout artists. You want to see what happens with him and the elite of the elite at 170 in the octagon. And for whatever reason, and I'm sure he'll tell us, and I'm sure he'll be very very outspoken. Yeah. I wonder if it's the, the whole style thing. I mean, like the I hardcore fans. Bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hardcore fans love it. Um, but then it's almost like I, I won't use his name, but I know a fighter that uh, fought in the upper weight classes in the UFC, you know, nine or 10 wins and only two losses and gets cut. Um, and so it's almost like, you know, you gotta be, who's in that? Um, Jared Rochelle. Oh so, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, great guy. Uh, awesome training partner, great fighter. Um, and he had I some fun had, fights. Why did he get cut? It was after just, uh, he had a early loss in the UFC and then he w- went on a tear mm-hmm. and then he had another loss and they cut him. One loss. Yeah. That seems crazy. So I think he had like eight, eight, nine or 10 wins and only two losses there. Uh, huh. And then, so it was after one loss, and he was gone. So I believe it was because of the the style. The style, um, but he's a yeah, great guy. man. That style's legitimate, though. The problem is you can't decide that you need things to be exciting. You need things. Your your sport is things being effective. Mm. The whole idea is like here you go. You got a guy like Francis Ngannou who can knock anybody's head into another dimension, right? Well, what happens if Francis Ngannou? gets smothered by some 
Rulon Gardner type character. Yeah, the Yeah, some giant dude who grabs a hold of him, drags him to the ground, and fucking hammer fists him for three, five rounds. You yeah. know, like, you don't you want to see that? I want to see I that. Yeah. I want to know that this kind of guy can be can be immobilized right that he can be neutralized and we've seen ben askren do that yeah to really like korshkov and lima, lima. two fucking straight up assassins right? right we've seen him do that so um i wanted to see him try to fight like some of the elite of the elite because i think that style is critical the the wrestling style is the hardest style to deal with if you can't compete with the wrestler that's why I've always said if you had like a pyramid of all the techniques in martial arts, like what would be the most important? I think wrestling because yeah. the ability to dictate where the fight takes place. And by wrestling, I include takedown defense, which is obviously a yeah. wrestling skill. But wrestling, the ability to dictate where the fight takes place is fucking critical. And if you could take the guy down, that the, having the ability to take a guy down is giant. You're on top of him. You're smothering him. He's got to carry your weight. It's exhausting. You're beating him up while he's down there. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a giant factor. You know, all obviously every fight starts standing up. And but when a good striker is fighting a good wrestler, they're fucking always worried to let anything go. Right. As soon as they tee off on something, woo, the doubles on them, and then they're on their ass. So I think that. A guy who has been proven to be one of the most difficult wrestlers to deal with, to not have him fight in the octagon is a tragedy. Mm. It's a fucking real bummer, man. Yeah, it is. And I wonder how many wrestlers out there are looking at Ngannou <laughs> and going, I wonder. I wonder what would happen if you take that guy down. Yeah, no, that, I mean, even me being in the same weight class, I mean, that's, that's my, my wife was asking, who, who would you be um, more terrified to fight before the fight, you mm-hmm. know, with how much do you wear? How much do you wear? Right 262. Now? We can get you down 205. <laughs> get you going keto. Yeah, but when Overeem and him were, were facing <laughs> off, she's like, which one would you prefer to fight? And I was like, I think Nagano. I think Francis. Really? Yeah, I Why? think so. Well, this was before he, <laughs> he sent uh, Alistair into orbit. But uh, I, uh, because you take him down. Right. Take him down, and then uh, and then it's your game, uh, hopefully. And he's so apparently with, with Alistair, so, he's so seasoned and everything else, um, right. and he does have some takedown defense, and he does have some submissions. So I've just seen him be more well rounded, mm-hmm. and uh, so. But that was before, right? <laughs> obviously outcome. before, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I would have talked to you before that, and I would have said no, <laughs> no, because um, my thought before the fight when I talked to Shab, Shab and I were talking on the phone. He said, "What do you think is going to happen?" I think I think he's I think Alistair doesn't make it out of the first round. I think we we went over all the times Alistair's been stopped. Uh, that's a big factor. It was a big factor. Yeah, I is think, it more than ten times? Yes, more than ten times in MMA. I think it was what was it like twelve times in 13. MMA, thirteen times in MMA, and then three or four times in kickboxing as well. And what's that analogy? Is there any truth to it? It's almost like a, a peanut butter jar or something the first time you open it you got to get out a towel and put over it and try mm. to really hard to, to to open that lid and then after that it's a little easier and then it's a little easier until eventually you do it enough and you can just spin it off just flick it you know yeah well and he's so, in the flick it stage yeah but it doesn't matter that punch would have knocked him out when he was 20 oh yeah that would have knocked anyone out yeah I mean, that, being, that uh, punch was insane or roy nelson either either of those guys and so. the way he threw it it was like a leg like from the thigh and then whipping that arm with the whole body behind it, just full torque. Mm-hmm. I mean, it had everything. It had all the power. 
I was a little skeptical of the, uh, well, it was probably from listening to Brendan, but talk about the punching power. Uh, you know, well, who else has Mark Hunt hit it and has Crow Cop kicked it and everything else. And then all of a sudden, once you see that punch, you're like, uh, he, he's, he's, he's sealed the deal. Dude, I've, I've sh- deal. shook homeboy's hands and it's like holding hands with a, a oh fucking cinder block. Let's see that again. Boom. See how he like comes up from the thigh and the arm whips up. Look at this. Wham. Oh, man. Oh my goodness! And he's and as, he, as he's punching, he's moving in position to punch a second time. Then he hammer fists him while he's out. Boom! Thank goodness he got in there. Enough. Yeah, he he certainly. I mean, the referee got in as quick as he could, but he certainly could have not hit him <laughs> while he was down. He was out cold. What are you gonna say? Who got knocked out with a bunch of the elbows? Didn't there like seven, eight extra elbows at the end before the ref stepped in? In this past weekend? Yeah, yeah. You remember what I'm talking I'm about? Say Gary Goodridge. They weren't like extra, <laughs> extra elbows, I mean, but like it was like ah man, you probably should have stopped that early. Pull up the card. Try to figure out who it was. Paul Felder. Yes, yeah, Felder yeah. beat the shit out of him. Yeah, um, that was an interesting fight because what what played out is exactly what I thought. It was like Oliveira is really dangerous with his grappling. His grappling is phenomenal. He has submitted, I think he's tied with Hoist Gracie for submitting the most guys in the UFC, which is, how badass is Hoist Gracie? All these years <laughs> All later, these years he has still the got the record. That's awesome. You know, pretty goddamn significant. Yeah. But um, he smashed wow. him with that one shot, and then he's he got tapped. such great elbows, man. Yeah, he tapped. That's right. That's what happened. No one saw the tap. Yeah. And Felder just smashed him. Well, Felder's an enormous 55. Felder walks around somewhere in the 185-pound range and then giants down to 55. Yeah, he tapped, but the referee didn't see it. two, three. And, you know, he can't let him up. Five. Oof. Yeah. Six. Yikes. Should have tapped a little harder than that. Yeah, you got to let. Don't. I mean, that's like a humble tap. Like, yeah. yeah, You got to tap. Like, okay, we're done here. Yeah, you can't yeah, tap. Paul like, didn't even realize he tapped. You, you know? can't be reluctant. You can't right. have a reluctant tap. It's got to be like, but guys don't want to tap. You know, like, I'm kind of tapping. Mm-hmm. You know, you've seen fights like where Joanna, right? Guys said they tapped, tap. but they didn't. Yeah, yeah. Joanna thinks she still says she didn't tap. Yeah, but she definitely did. Mm-hmm. She probably doesn't realize she tapped because she was in dreamland. You know, I mean, she got hit so hard and got dropped. But guys have tapped. Said they didn't tap. Remember Marilla Bustamante and Matt Lindland? Yep, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> they restarted the fight. Matt Lindland got caught in an arm bar, clearly tapped. Yep. And uh, Big John McCarthy um, separated them, was declaring Bustamante the winner. Lindland said, I didn't tap. I was moving around. I was moving around. I wasn't tap. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and, and then L- Bustamante, you can tell he's like, what in the fuck? Are you serious? And then they make him go back at it again, and then he catches him in a guillotine the next round. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I started in 2005 or six fighting, and I remember a lot of wrestlers talking about wrestler tricks as if someone, if you go for the double leg and you start getting a takedown, you know, tap. Here, here it is. is, watch. That's, well, I don't know. Hold on. Let me watch that again. Let me watch that again. Play it right there. Yeah, that looks like he's tapping. But then he says he's not. Hmm. It seems like he wanted to tap, but he didn't. Hmm. Let me see it again. I'm less convinced now. Watch this again. Here it is. He's got the arm. Turns him over. Yeah, that's a tap. Yeah. That's a fucking tap. Yeah. And then he said he didn't. 
<laughs> so I, <laughs> so I, know, like, I know a lot of wrestlers would talk about if you know you get yeah. in the guillotine, try to see where the ref is, and then well, you can tap on the other side. Do you remember Chael did that? Oh yeah, Chael did that with Paulo Filio yeah. in uh, WEC. Yeah, that's right. And then they fought again the second time. They Two fought. Team Quest guys. Filio didn't make weight, and uh, now he, he catches him with the guillotine. This is it right here, old school Carlson Gracie style, son. Yeah, I mean, Bustamante was a wizard back then. A lot of people forgot how good he was. At the top of his game, man, he was one of the fuck. That's a tap right there. He was one of the fucking best. Such a good jiu-jitsu guy and really good boxing, too. But uh, Paulo Filo went crazy. Remember, he was kind of like the second time they fought, he missed weight. So Sonnen should rightly, by all accounts, really be... The, he should have been the WEC 185-pound champion, but he never he never got that yeah. title because Philo didn't make the weight, and then they had some real weird fight where, like, Philo was saying, just do my, my friend, come to the ground with me. He's like, can't do that, sorry. <laughs> and he said he was talking to him. Like, you know, remember when he, Paul had, like, a kind of a, a bit of a breakdown, right? Yeah. Got a yeah. Mike Tyson tattoo mm-hmm. on his face and mm-hmm. was acting he real just weird. disappeared. Yeah, How man, he was a, a beast. Guys, man. He, he was. was a monster. At one point in time, yeah, he was uh, submitting everybody. He was so good, and he submitted a bunch of people, at least one or two people, in Pride, I believe. Um, but yeah, he was uh, another guy. He was a Carlson Gracie guy as well, right? I believe so. Yeah, world class jujitsu guy who's just a little pit bull of a man. Yeah, yeah, like the pre Paul Paul Harris. What do you think about what, what Ryzen is doing now? You know, Ryzen is trying to kind of bring back the Pride days. I miss the Pride Days. Me so, too. <laughs> I miss right? them, yeah, a lot. So I support it. Yeah. Um, I hope they do it well. They're and doing a lot of freak shows too. Like they had, was in Rising Gabby Garcia versus some maid? The, the old lady. Yeah. The grandma. Well, she's had a couple. Yeah, there's, fights there's over one. There. She literally fought a grandma. Like yeah. not, not just joking around. Like she was a grandmother. <laughs> and so, a grandma with a bad knee, remember? Yeah. Grandma she had didn't a knee want to be in there. No. See, like once it started, it was like they, they put her up to that. Why do you she think didn't they want to be in there? Why, they, why would they put her up to I that? I have no clue. Maybe they, just, they can't find anyone to fight Gabby. I'm sure they can't. Yeah, but uh, yeah. it's almost like uh, I'd rather not see that fight happen, though. For people who don't know, Gabby Garcia is probably 225 pounds. And jacked. Yeah. I she mean, would be my training partner. Yes. Like, <laughs> like legitimately. legitimately yeah. yeah. I'm 6'3", 262. She would be my training partner. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Yeah. She'd be, I think she's taller than you. Oh, she probably is. She's a gorilla. <laughs> so big. So uh, finding a female competitor to compete with her, good luck. Yeah. Well, whenever they were always talking about the Rousey could beat um, guys in her division and different stuff like that you would almost think they have to have no other options to where gabby's gonna have to fight a guy someday i know uh, right maybe like a 185 or something like right. that but 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 yeah yeah look at the size of her <laughs> oh my goodness it's so insane and this is her versus a little girl in kickboxing this is a kickboxing fight oh my god she's so oh it's, oh, it's, it's mma, MMA. what are those gloves maybe uh the Smaller one didn't want to fight her in MMA gloves because they take too much of a beating. They do look like boxing gloves, don't they? Yeah. I think this is a kickboxing fight. I think that's why they stopped the fight after that takedown oh, attempt. Okay. Right? Because they got back up to their feet. This yeah. is a kickboxing fight. Maybe it's an fight. MMA fighter, though, doing it. Ooh. Yeah. She's getting battered. She's getting hit by tree trunks. It's so crazy. When she fought grandma, that was a. Uh, was yeah. like, I was sad for the woman that had to be, had to go out there. This is in Brazil versus Megumi Yabushita. 
Japan brutal knockout illegal soccer kick. Okay, I don't want to watch this. Here oh, it is. Oof. Oh Jesus Christ! Illegal soccer kick. That's a that's a good night. Yeah, when you're a hundred pounds bigger than someone, please don't soccer kick them when they're down illegally. That yeah. just seems like logical. Adding insult to injury. <laughs> so what else is coming up next that you're you're excited about? Is um Paul Daly fighting Semtex? Um, I mean Semtex fighting um, uh, Michael Venom Page. That they want to. I know that Simtex is going after that, going after yeah. that, going after that, but I don't think it's finalized. Is Michael Page into the fight? Does he want to have that fight? I, I think he's a little more on the fence about it. Really? I, I think. Daly is like campaigning for it. At least the last I heard. I love shit talking with a British accent. Yeah. It's one of my makes favorite things. Yeah. It, it, anything with a British accent. S- especially from Daly, you know, like you, you look at him, this muscular animal. He's such a fucking psycho. Dude. And then and just, what a fucking left hand that guy's got. Gosh. When he stopped Lorenz Larkin, I was like, whoa, that's, yeah. that's for real. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be really exciting to Fuck see yeah. if it happens. Yeah. He's even been on page with that flying knee. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, with the, the cyborg one? face, yeah. Jesus Christ. Know. I've never seen anything like that in my life. Yeah. I think it's the right fight to do, so hopefully yeah. Van Page is... And I don't think he's... I don't know. I, maybe it's other other details they need to work out to make it happen, but um, it seems like Daly's the one that's been campaigning for it, and hmm. Michael Van Page hasn't yet, so... Yeah, because after Rory McDonald beat Daly, Daly was immediately saying he wanted to fight Page. Right. It wasn't like saying, like, I didn't really want to fight Rory, uh, fuck this fight. He's, like, immediately going after that. He didn't want to rematch with Rory. He was just Michael Venom Page and him have some serious bad blood. Yeah. Exciting. <laughs> really exciting, man. Yeah. I don't know. Here we go. After boxing debut win, who's Paul Daly? Oh, yeah, Daly? that's, that's right. Doing. He had a boxing match. Who's Paul Daly? That's funny. Who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably one of the most brilliant lines. Now everyone else can copy. That's amazing. Yeah. The timing. The timing of that when Jeremy Stevens yelled that out. Um, yeah, Venom Page looked amazing in his boxing match. Mm. It's like you're hearing all this shit now about Conor possibly fighting Paulie Malignaggi. And then Pacquiao, right? Huh? In an MMA fight? No, boxing boxing match in a cage. That was the the latest. Like a boxing match in the octagon. Listen, the WMME WME crew, the people who own the UFC now, they're, I think they're willing to put on whatever fight's going to bring in the most shekels. You know, that's what they got to do now. And But now they got a star. I think in Ganu, one or two more fights, you're going to be looking at Mike Tyson days. That's what I think. I think in Ganu, it's going to be like, you're going to watch fights just to see how long these motherfuckers can survive against that guy. That's what I think. And I think that could be their big breakout star. Connor, who knows if he's ever going to fight again. I mean, we really don't know. We haven't heard Connor saying, you know, this is my plan. This is who I'm thinking about fighting. This is who I want to fight. He's been talking shit to Max Holloway. Mm. He's been talking shit to Tony Ferguson. But he's not said, like, set it up. So, Did you know what Francis was really talking about whenever he was talking about the, the slaves? Yes. That happened? Yes. Man, that's so nuts. Yeah, we played that on the podcast. We showed a lot of that stuff that's going on in Libya. They had open slave auctions, and people filmed it and put it on YouTube in 2017. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I know multiple people from Uganda, Rwanda, and Congo that were um, they were lured into some of these 
countries uh, like there, and they would go there thinking that they were going to have a job opportunity um, and that they would be working at this place or that place or whatever. And you you start here and you work your way up, and but automatically you're going to be making more than you've ever made in a year every week. Um, and so they go there thinking that they're going to be able to have a new job, send back a bunch of money to their family. Then all of a sudden they get there. They take all their documents away from them to where they can't travel. They can't escape. If they do, they don't speak the language. Um, and then they throw them into a, someone's house, and they're literally their slave. Um, and they were lured there. Now all of a sudden you're a slave. Um, and How so long takes, are they keeping them there for? They'll keep them there forever. But then uh, the, some of these families that are able to – some of these people that are able to – make contact with their families, they have to fundraise and come up with thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm talking like an African family that might make a dollar to a dollar twenty five per day is now having to come up with three, four, five thousand, ten thousand uh, dollars to try to buy them back. back. To try to buy them back out of it. So um, Did you know there's more slavery today than any other time ever in recorded in history? Human history, yeah. So yeah. the lowest statistic is twenty seven million, but I think it's over thirty million. Just stop and think about it. Most people in America, if you get, you talk to them about slavery, they're like, oh, well, yeah, that ended in 1865. Nope. Nope. Not only did it not end, there's more today than ever. Mm. But until we saw the Libya, the, the YouTube video where you see the one guy saying he's a good, he can lift heavy things, he's a good digger, and you're like, what? Yeah. And they were selling him for like 400 bucks, 600 bucks. Yeah, so the Mabuti Pygmies, actually. So this is what the documentary is really covering. I cover a little bit of it in the book, but we've actually seen 1,500 people, and that's what at the Comedy Store tonight we'll play the short trailer for it, and it's going to talk about the slavery that's in there. Uh, there's 400 to 600,000 Mabuti Pygmies in the Congo, and basically all of them are enslaved currently right now. And so we've actually seen peaceful negotiations of 1,500 people transition out of a life of slavery and into a life of freedom. And we're hoping that we can replicate that. And so the, how we're able to do it is we're able to work with the local, state, and national government uh, on documents. And then also we're able to buy back the land from the slave master so they benefit financially by having maybe more money than they've ever made f- from their slaves. Um, and then uh, – there we get water for both sides. So the slave masters, it's it's a different context for slavery. There's a lot of places like Libya or different um, countries that they're really rich and they have a bunch of slaves. But in this context, it's a, a family owns a family in most cases. Some some own many families, uh, but it, they're I've attended the funerals of the slave master's kids. Um, the slave master, the slave master's kids are dying of dirty water because they have zero access to it. Wow. And so whenever you can bring in, because they're making a dollar, dollar twenty five a day on the film, there's going to be a beautiful part on the documentary. I don't want to ruin that part or silly of the thunder, but it's um, man, there's a slave master crying on camera with us, crying um, because of how much of a benefit it's been. The peace that's come from not having the slaves that he inherited from his father, who inherited them from his grandfather, uh, because it became a burden where they're making a dollar, dollar 25 a day. They're spending on average, the average uh, person in Congress being $185 a year on treatment against waterborne disease. So on medicine and all stuff, they're spending half of their salary 
on waterborne disease. They're losing their kids because of it. And now they're making a dollar, dollar twenty-five a day trying to take care of their own family. How are they supposed to take care of their slave family? And so they can give them just the scraps. And so whenever we get to come in there and say, hey, this land is rightfully the Mabuti Pygmies. They're the first citizens of, of Congo. They're, they're the first people here. They're the native Congolese. Um, they Don't you think they deserve some land? And so we kind of cast a vision, work together with them. It's all inclusive to where they get to share their concerns and questions and, and they get to be part of it and say, we want this here. And so then all of a sudden, once that happens, we do the land purchases, it's all legal. And then, um, and then we bring in water for both sides to where they both have clean water access to that, which changes everything. Whenever the slave master's wife is on average going 3.75 miles to go collect water, she can't do other things. Imagine that you're, you own slaves and you have to walk three miles to get water. To go get water. And or or you you're a slave master, and if you are fortunate enough that you the, your wife doesn't have to go collect water all day, one of your kids can't go to school because they have to go collect water all day. And so, and when those jerry cans are full, forty four or sorry, twenty liters, twenty liters is forty four pounds when full. And a lot of times they do it with two because if you're gonna if you're not gonna carry it on your head and if you're gonna make the most of your time that three point seven five mile walk, you're gonna go with two jerry cans on that walk and then it'll balance you out almost like kettlebells. Yeah. Um, and so you get two forty four pound almost kettlebells but jerry cans of water that's moving that's so hard to carry and you walk that back. A hundred pounds. You're basically yeah, walking pounds. out with a hundred pounds. Yeah. Yeah, 88 pounds. And you're, so to be able to alleviate. You're a alleviate, tiny person. You're not yeah. a big person. Yeah, anyway. some of them are, are, are girls that are, you know, teenagers and stuff. Um, and Imagine trying to get an American teenager to carry 88 pounds. I'm in. It hurts me going yeah. on it. Like literally I go on those. All, our team normally does the water walk in every new village that we go to. So probably 70 water walks now. There might be one or two that we didn't do. Um but the first 13 we did when I was there and, uh, man, it's to, to understand, to put yourself literally in their shoes and go on that long walk and to have the sore neck from mm-hmm. carrying it on your head or to have just your shoulders dying because you're walking back with 88 pounds. You're not doing, I mean, think about whenever we're doing those kettlebell walks. I, know, I right? mean, how many feet are we going? But go miles that way. Yeah. I put um, on one of those outdoorsman's vests. You know what those things are? Outdoorsman's pack mm. that has a weight uh, plate in the back, uh, uh, one of those posts for weight plates. And I slide on a 45 pound plate and I, I hike the mountains with it. Just forty five pounds. Yeah, you go like that's not. I weigh two hundred pounds. Why? Why would forty five pounds be a lot? It's a fucking lot, man. It's a lot. So to think that these women mm. are carrying double that and they're walking through the jungle. Yeah, it's fucking. Oh man, and and uh, the uh, it's it's not funny, but I mean uh, they they cracked up because they're so used to uh, to carrying this walk. But I'm going down this this steep hill, and it's on a little foot trail, and it's muddy because it had been raining. Um, and, I, and so I'm, I'm having this thing on my head, and I fall on my back, and the water just soaks me. Because uh-huh. all the water that we went and collected, um, fall, no, I mean, half of it uh, ended up on me and on the ground. Did you and go then, back um, and get more water? No. Wow. No, because we were, we were currently trying to drill the new right. well, and we were getting pretty close to it. Um, and so, but just slipping, falling while you're doing it, losing your balance. I sprained my knee one time on one of the water walks because uh, you're carrying all this weight. You step in a hole, and then all of a sudden you sprain your ankle, sprain your uh, knee, different stuff like that. And Listen, Justin Wren, you are doing the Lord's work. You're doing amazing stuff, man. And I'm so happy that we can help, and I'm happy that we can help tonight. If you were oh, thinking man. about coming to the show, you're shit out of luck. <laughs> sold out. It's, it was sold out a long 
long fucking time ago. So uh, tonight will be uh, Tom Segura, Tony Hinchcliffe, Whitney Cummings, Owen Smith, Tom Papa. Is that everybody? And me. Is that it? That's it. That's the show. Tonight, 9.30 at the Comedy Store, and all the proceeds will be donated to Fight for the Forgotten. Woo-ha! Woo-ha! Hey, yo! Whatever he said. Oh, yeah! Thank you, brother. I appreciate you, man. Thanks, bro. Thank you, everybody. And thank you to Me Undies. Go to MeUndies.com forward slash Rogan for free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee. That's MeUndies.com forward slash Rogan. Thank you also to ButcherBox. Go to ButcherBox.com and you can get 10 bucks off plus free bacon by using the code word Rogan. That's ButcherBox.com. Use the code word Rogan. And thank you to Onnit. Go to O-N-N-I-T. Use the code word Rogan and save 10% off any and all supplements. Ta-da! We did it! All right, that's the end of this podcast. Uh, Next, Chris Stapleton, one of my favorite artists. Amazing singer. He'll be next. See you soon. Bye.